G'day, this is Keza, and I'm just bringing you a message from Down Under. It's been a pretty tough time in Australia the last week. We've experienced the worst natural disaster that our country has ever had. In the southeast of the country, we're in severe drought and have been for a decade. The bush is dry and the world's biggest fire hazard. We've experienced a heat wave of record proportions and the weather patterns combined with arsonists and lightning strikes and a cigarette butt and the addition of strong winds has created mass destruction and devastation across one of the most beautiful parts of our country. It's a fairly densely inhabited part of the country. I used to live nearby to that area in in the state of Victoria and it's absolutely beautiful. A sheep or two of the kangaroo I close my mouth back Veranda out the front And an old rocking chair The bush is a very peaceful place. It's full of life, just teeming with animals and insects and a variety of plant life. And to have it all just destroyed along with people's homes and livelihoods and their families is gut-wrenching and devastating. It's been really important to see the support of the community, especially the international community, and to watch as people send their messages and their prayers, and it's been pretty heartwarming to see. There isn't enough prayers that we can give. There isn't enough hope that we can express. There's not enough that we can do to rebuild this kind of destruction. On behalf of all the Australian Pufuanians, I'd just like to thank everybody for their love and their prayers and their support. You don't have to be a Victorian and you don't have to be directly affected by the fires to feel the devastation that this is causing. Although I don't live near the fires, I can actually smell and see the smoke from my home, which is half a day's drive away from the nearest fire front. So that tells me more than any pictures that I've seen, more than any stories that I've heard, just the magnitude and the scale of this disaster. We do have one Pufuanian who lives in the fire-devastated area. Ava from Hufflepuff House is safe, and we're hoping and praying that all her family remains safe. I'd just like to say from all of us down under, a great big thanks to all the people at Pufwa for their love and support, and we still need your prayers and your thoughts and your hope. I've been to cities that never close down From New York to Rio and old London town But no matter how far or how wide I roam I still go to Australia Tonight, we are all Australians.
previously on Potterfic Weekly. And welcome back to Potterfic Weekly. This is Ryan. I enjoyed long walks on the beach. Hello, I'm Jen. I'm Jen. My name is Jen. I didn't want to tell you, but I wrote a smut about you. <laughs> I'm like feeling very <sighs> distressed. Lady Chi here. She's the queen of the fairies. I'm not made of stone. I have cats that I am throwing away. And I is in the house. I'm a hat rack. There's Voldemort and bad wizards, but there's also boobies. And I'm Keza. Hello. We all use the shower to wash ourselves. <laughs> I'm P.S. I don't know where I thought the food came from, but I never thought that there were still arms. It's him. It's him. Mike. Mike, you never say I'm Mike. You're going to invest, invest in Canadian or Russian shipping. All of the ice is going to melt in northern Canada, and it's going to open up new shipping lanes. If northern Canada melts... Would that not flood the world and kill us all? These are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. Boys and girls, there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. Oh, my God. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Petrificus Totalis. Perfect Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. Who wants to see Hermione as a trial lawyer? As a tribal warrior? (laughs) I was born without wisdom teeth because I'm a higher state of human development. Hold on. You are the future of mankind? I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. (laughs) Oh, Vicodin. I love the fact that she's Australian. The art. This is a momentous moment, and you're mocking my accent. I'm very, very allergic to cats, and my mother-in-law <laughs> is evil, and she knows this, and she got a damn cat. How many virgins can successfully ravage anybody? He's Harry Potter. Come on. He's a skinny, awkward kid who we think has ED. No, 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 we don't think that. You think that. Poor Bernard was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. Okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. Why is it always me? Why is it never Chi? You never talked about Chi's breasts. He has his breasts are a fixture of Perfect Weekly. I ship Harry Ginny. I write Harry Ginny. I read Harry Ginny. Sniping Harry, not really my thing. Putting aside the question of sexual orientation. On Saturday, September 13th at 11.21 p.m., I fell so madly in love you won't even believe it with Harry Ginny. I think I just peed my pants. Please say that again. I felt something click inside of me and the second half of my life began. She really does love them. I got into a fight with a pit bull I was hitting over the head with a lawnmower once and it ripped my pants off. See, you're in your underwear whacking dogs with a lawnmower. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Oh, come here, I'm so sorry. Come here. I just, I just kicked my dog in the head. I peeled my whole fingernail off once when I was a child. First time I ever learned what an erection was. Seriously, I remember this very distinctly. This is like the Manhattan Project. Harry is both a spy and a department head. George shot Justin a significant glance. From a memory charm and everyone in the room. Shalom. You have reached Puffwa's resident Jew. She has like a whole sound system. I don't have a sound system. <laughs> she sounds a little aggravated. Are you a little creaky? For the God, Ryan, if you ever, ever, ever make me cover a story with butt sex babies, I will kill you. Neither can live while the other survives. What does that mean? How does that mean? What does it kill the other? And Jen's like, yeah, I like looking at female butts more, too. So what? Women are beautiful. Doesn't make me gay. You thought I Jen got like- pregnant <laughs> on a boat? I've realized in this podcast that Ryan just lies to me nonstop. And now, Potterfic Weekly.
sound weird. How weird is weird? Should I move the mic or should I swallow my jelly beans? <laughs> no, you sound like you're on helium. She doesn't sound like she's on helium to me. Jen, you kind of sound like you're in a tin shack. Crap. I just go to the shop and buy one. So much easier. Well, the shops are all closed up here because it's nighttime. I love how you got the shops. <laughs> <laughs> you right. need to ring Jen too, but I love how you, you have to ring her. <laughs> I love that. I usually have no idea what she's talking about, but she seems very capable. She's just going to talk about the art. The art. Do I sound like I'm on helium still? No. Yes. You know, it has sound like you're in a metal shack. Gen 2, can I tell you how excited I am for, like, the things you were talking about for forum promotion? I didn't understand an effing word of it, but it sounds so <laughs> Well, she went four months having a warrant for her arrest, and she had no idea. Then Ryan's next, then it's going to be me. It's going to hit all of us. Well, you're not going to get arrested, Gen 2? Yeah, nope. Right, that's what you think. I've made it 35 right. years. Time's almost up. It's not my fault. Don't blame me. Well, I didn't manage to blow up a toilet today, but one of my preschoolers managed to overflow the toilets today. Oh, Sue, congratulations. All right. There There's is nothing, nothing like... better than poop. Well, you know, well, one of the teachers... definitely the... named the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> one of the teachers is like, he's on the floor with toilet paper mopping things up. You might want to check on him. And it's, of course, one of my children that doesn't speak English, so I have no idea what actually happened. You can probably figure it out from the shit on the floor. Actually, it wasn't too bad. It was fairly clean. I don't know what he did. Oh. Can I tell you today, um, part of my job, the guy speaks Spanish, so I had to send him the leather in Spanish. So there's a form leather I send, but the problem is in the form leather, there's like blanks that I have to fill in. So I don't know what the thing says. I'm trying to guess what kind of things I should be filling in. And you just so- make up Spanish, Ryan. Like on one line, I'm like, uh, December 31st, 2008. On one line, I put, like, a six. I'm like, I have no idea. So hopefully he can figure My daughter is potty training. Yes. And she's doing very well. But the problem is, is that if she's going to go to the potty, she refuses to wear pants. So she is naked from the bottom down. And this bothers me. She'll grow out of it. It's not a very good time of year for my daughter to be half naked. Well, you know, she's skipping around the house, skipping, 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 running, skipping, yes. running. And then the next thing you know, she's like, I pee, I pee, I pee, I pee, I pee, I pee, mommy. Uh-oh, uh-oh, mommy. uh-oh, mommy. uh-oh. Oh, no. Uh-oh. She, has a, she has a little pink potty chair. She's very fond of it. She drags me in there. She's like, look, I pee. We get rid of it. And then no sooner than we get rid of it, she goes skipping, 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 skipping. I pooped. I poop. I poop. I poop. I poop. <laughs> I'm just like up to my eyeballs and baby shit. As it goes down the plumbing, she's always, she's like, bye-bye, poopy. <laughs> bye-bye, poopy. When I was being potty trained, there was a bush in my backyard. And apparently I was outside playing with my dad one day, and I decided to be a big boy and pee on the bush. So I peed on the bush. So now I'm in the middle of potty training, all right? Now, I live in New England, so we get storms all the time. So there was a, there was a bad snowstorm that night. And I go into my mom and dad's room in the middle of the night, and I, like, wake my dad. I, like, grab his hand, and I shake his hand. I'm like, Dad, I have to go pee. He's like, okay, buddy, let's go. I start putting my coat on. I would only pee on the bush. 
<laughs> so I made we had to get dressed up and I had to go in the backyard I don't know how I pulled this off so I went in the backyard and I, I peed in the bush at 3.30 in the morning that was my thing my daughter will not be peeing on any bushes that you know of give her time there was a picture of me on a camp we went on a camping trip and um, of course we were doing like the whole dig the whole thing when you, <laughs> you need to go to the toilet and uh, I just needed to do away this one time. And mum's like, oh, there's some long grass over there. Just do it. I'm like hopping around. And she just takes a picture on me when I'm squatting in the long grass. I've got a photo of me <laughs> peeing on the grass. Oh, can that be your forum, like, avatar? But even when she says that, <laughs> peeing on the grass. <laughs> with all that is going on in the world today, and especially with the fires in Australia, the joy that Pufo brings is a needed relief. In this episode, we may stray off topic just a little and talk about potty training. So in an effort to add a little humor to a very serious subject, I would like to read a story for you. It is called Everyone Poops by Taro Gomi. An elephant makes a big poop. A mouse makes a tiny poop. A one-humped camel makes a one-humped poop. And a two-humped camel makes a two-humped poop. Just kidding. Fish poop, and so do birds. And bugs, too. Different animals make different kinds of poop, different shapes, different colors, and even different smells. Which end is a snake's behind? What does whale poop look like? Some animals stop to poop, while others do it on the move. Some poop here and there. Others do it in a special place. Grown-ups poop. Children poop, too. While some children poop in the potty, others poop in their diapers. Some animals poop and pay no attention. Others clean up after themselves. These poop by the water. This one does it in the water. He wipes himself with paper, then flushes it down. All living things eat. So, everyone poops. The end. Seriously, Ryan, and if you post the story on the podcast, I will kill you. I don't see that you have to threaten me, but carry on. I just found out yesterday that blah, 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 blah. What? Now, there was a tanker explosion tonight? Yes, there was. Know what that means? What does it mean? Time to podcast. And welcome back to Pyrofic Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Rena. All right, let's try that one more time. Let's let Rena go first because there was a tanker truck explosion. For February 15th, 2009, this is episode 70 of Pyrofic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Oh, will there ever be again a podcast quite like this? One brought us together and started its own forum list. Where the hosts are all our friends. All the stories told by Jen. Will it drive Ryan round the bend? Part of it weekly, where the story never ends. Mm-hmm. And welcome back to Perfect Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Rita. I'm P.S. I'm Gentoo. I'm Sue. Missed it by that much. I get to go first. 
Fight me. So we are in episode 70 of our podcast, and we are moving on to the first 16 chapters of Lavender Brown's Final Reckoning. And I have to tell you, I love this story. I'm the one who put it on the podcast. I made sure it got on the schedule. I'm very unfulfilled with the name of the fic, because it, like, you, you remember, like, we had Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, or Harry Potter and the Elder Wand, and all of these, you know, fascinating titles. You never thought it would be Final Reckoning. That's like a Will Smith movie. Yeah, it, it's very <laughs> generic. It's very generic. I think we have to talk about Keza and Susan. Oh, look, okay. Skank. <laughs> oh, sorry. Let, yeah, let's talk about Susan. Well, uh, actually, actually, see, actually, before we talk about Susan, can I ask one thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to know what Keza thought about Draco in this story. Draco Malfoy is... Well, see, I'm, I'm only up to chapter 16. And at first, I thought he was like a male skanko. Then I started to feel sorry for him. And I'm sitting on the fence with Ron and Han- Harry going, can't believe I feel sorry for this kid. And then I'm thinking, he seems a bit desperate. And so I don't hate him in this fic. He seems a very intriguing character to me at the moment. Like, I'm not on his side or anything... But I don't outright hate him. And I like fix where they don't write him as a complete turd, where they write, a, he's got a bit of mystery and stuff about him. That's funny because I went exactly backwards from you in terms of Draco because I was feeling sorry for him at the end of Book of Morgan in the, in the battle in the house where all of a sudden Mooch just turns on. Yeah. And I felt really sorry for him then. But then in Final Reckoning, it seems like he's back to his old self and he's being a prick and he's trying to rape Ginny and I loved... Yeah, but he wasn't trying to rape her. He was trying to use her powers. If you want to use rape in a non-sexual sense and just the idea of completely using somebody, abusing them, taking advantage, then that is exactly what he was doing here. Now, I'm sure it's not any surprise that Draco has not ever been one of my favorite characters. (gasps) The Draco in this story is so close to the Draco that I've always had in my mind, even from canon. Somebody who is just weak and a little crazy. Opportunistic. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I love the part where Molly's putting him in his place. Like, that was like, I I eat that up like candy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love scenes with Molly and Draco in them. I read the fic. um, Rene, I remember you told me once you read this fic, it was on um, Points of No Return by yeah. an author I can't remember. There's a scene where um, where the kids, the Gryffindor kids are missing. There's some plot device that they're off at a different location, and Molly is at the school with, um, I think, Sirius Black and Dumbledore, and they're launching like a rescue mission to find the kids. And Draco makes a snotty remark in one of the corridors to Molly Weasley about, you know, her missing kids, you know, something like, at least you have enough at home or whatever, you won't miss them. And she walks up and she slaps him so hard he goes flying across the room and I'm like you know what this is the Molly Weasley I know and love the Molly who scares the crap out of the twins you know Mm -hmm. they obviously respect her so then you see someone who has no respect for her and she's this poor woman you know uncivilized in his mind how does he react to her and it's basically you know she scares the crap out of him too so let's get back to the Susan thing Susan is indeed the ice bitch from hell. And no, she is not. I, I am last man standing. <laughs> Sue, are you no. with me? Sue, this Sue at Duxford. Did you read the point at which she dumped Harry and said, I still love you, and then turns around and starts dating somebody else? Okay, Sue at Duxford. 
where do you stand? Now, I'm, I'm offering you complete protection here. Don't be afraid to speak your <laughs> mind. Where do you stand on Suegate, your namesake right here? What do you think? I uh, was firmly in the she is not evil camp. I'm thinking that she is still very weak and that she should not have gone up to Harry at the... Uh, trial and sort of rubbed his face in the fact that she had a new boyfriend. Maybe I'm just misreading the scenes, or maybe I'm just reading them differently. This is what I think of Susan. She's someone who, she doesn't cheat on Harry. She doesn't dump him because things get difficult. She's with him throughout the year. She helps him throughout the year. She doesn't dump him because things get difficult? Excuse me? She dumps him after things get difficult. It's not like, for example, you know, she's at the Riddle House. Now, she goes to the Riddle House. She knows she could be killed there. She doesn't say, like, if in Dumbledore's office, she threw up her hands and said, Harry, enough. I'm not built for this. Like, I can't do this. I would even probably still be on her side there because I wouldn't want to go to the Riddle House. You know what I mean? It's like, for example, if you have a new boyfriend and you love him, and you think he's a great guy, but he wants you to be the getaway driver when you rob the bank, you might be like, "Mm, you know what, I think we should see other people. But she goes to the Riddle House, and she's tormented by Voldemort, who's threatening to kill her, and is mocking her and her aunt, who's the Minister of Magic. And she even gets through that, and then afterwards she decides, and probably admits, look, I'm a weak person, I can't do this, I need to walk away. But she says, I still love you. And then, like, weeks later, she's bawling Terry Boot. Okay, how many women is Harry juggling in Chapter 16? Oh, my gosh, that is so I know, funny. We're talking about, we're talking about chapters. They're like the Chicken McNuggets. It's like Collect All Five. He's got a Slytherin, a Gryffindor, a Hufflepuff, a Ravenclaw. We're no, talking about Chapter 2 and Chapter 3 when oh, Harry is still pining over a picture of her. Right. Now, let me put you this Okay, no, okay, I, wait a minute. Wait no, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Go, go, you yes. cannot, okay. This is also a 16-year-old boy thinking that his world is over because he's no longer getting laid on a regular basis. <laughs> I mean, you can't say, oh my God, he was just so de- devastated by this because well, it was... Right now, I'm a 27-year-old. <laughs> my point is, I mean, I do think that this particular section is a little bit melodramatic in some places because... It's, you know, you get dumped for the first time and you think your world is over. I mean, you really do. Even if you didn't even particularly like the person you were dating all that much, (laughs) you're still, I mean, the world is over because you're 16 and you got dumped. Well, let me say this too, because the Harry Potter stories are stories about kids who never seem like kids when you read the story. They're like fighting. Okay, picture this. If your school was attacked and you were a 16-year-old, you would be jumping out the window into the arms of a National Guardsman to get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> and the guys in the camouflage would be going in to take care of it. And Harry Potter, like, Ron Weasley is leading the charge with the 12-year-olds as support, like tactical support. I mean, so it's interesting to read a story where Harry is is just a horny 16-year-old all the time. Because that's really what he should be like. But let me say this. Okay, so Susan breaks up with him. It happens. Now, in Susan's defense, I was dumped when I was 16 by a girl, and she did not just launch a rescue mission to, you know, save my life or to save the life of a friend. I mean, she broke up with me because I think she just felt like seeing other people. So I can admit that Susan does go through a hell of a lot with Harry. I mean, she starts dating a kid who has enormous psychological problems. She's with him the entire year. She risks her life for him. And at the end, she decides, look, this isn't right for me. She does start dating someone else. You know, she could be in the same position that Harry's in where she's feeling incredibly lonely. But the scene at the ministry... I think she shows up with Terry Boot, probably because her aunt's the Minister of Magic, and she wants to see the guy who was tormenting her, because she was there at the Riddle House, too. But 
the only way, the way I remember the scene, maybe I misread it, was that Harry and, 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 the, and the kids and the trio and everyone sees Susan, and Susan comes walking over. And it's not like she's walking over, grinding up against Terry, you know, with her tongue down his throat, rubbing it in Harry's face. She comes over and says, hi, how are you? I mean, that's a difficult thing to do. It's hard to break up with someone who has a big group of very loyal friends and then walk over to them. You might want to wear a bulletproof vest if you do that. Oh, it's just like a bloodbath in here today. And walk from Terry to Harry, and that was just very, very tactless. Yeah, I, well, we're talking about, I don't know, I mean, she was... Especially given what Harry had to do that day. Yes, I will admit she was not being... Well, here's the thing, her role when she broke up with Harry is no longer to be Harry Potter's protector. And, you know, Ron and Ginny and Neville and Hermione, they would all take bullets for Harry. You don't mess with Harry, you know, with, you know if you, unless you want to feel our wrath. She went there with her boyfriend. I mean, I'll even put it to this way. I was dating someone, and I knew the relationship wasn't going anywhere, and I I just didn't care that much about the relationship. Like, I just, I just, I was in this mode where it just wasn't a big, important factor to me. And I ended up, something happened, and I clicked and had a loser moment, if anyone's ever seen the movie Loser, at the end, where the girl has the moment in the dressing room or wherever. I had one of those click moments where I just walked away from the person. Literally a month later, I met Danielle. And I'm marrying her six years later. So I've had those moments where I've walked away from someone and found someone else right away. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I tend, I'm a Hufflepuff. I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. There's nothing in Susan's, in the writing of Susan that's made me hate her already. I'll put it to that way. Yeah, it's oh. in Harry's reactions. It's not in Susan. I'm sure she's a very decent, you know, no, she's not a decent girl. Let's face it, she's a skanko. The point is that. <laughs> How many people did Harry have in Chapter 16? He felt very remorseful for kissing Daphne and Ginny on the same day. Thank you very much. He kissed them. Very Uh-huh. And he kissed them. He kissed them. There's a big joke about Terry <laughs> splinting his willy off. All right, can I say <laughs> So that means that he needs it. The best moment about that was when you find out that he splinched his his willy off, and Harry's like, "Oh the oh the poor bastard! Oh that's I'll, I should send him a card." And he's like, "Yes, yes." Karma. I like when Ron comes back from his uh, a license test and he instinctively ch- checks himself. Harry, it's there. Well, I like the part about how the affected body part will be numb for thirty. <laughs> Can you picture Terry Boot at the urinal? I, am I doing it? Is it working? <laughs> <laughs> he pees and No, can you picture he's like in the great hall and all of a sudden there's like this big wet mark over his car. Oh crap, I gotta go. <laughs> Susan buys him to pens for Christmas. Oh, that no. <laughs> It is karma. Karma, too. Yeah, I am not a Susan hater. I, I defend her because I feel like. I mean, I think I made this point last week when we were talking about her character specifically that, you know, throughout the story, we get these shining examples of what amazing, loyal, wonderful, incredible, selfless friends are. But I don't think any one of us has ever been quite that willing to die for a friend. The willingness Uh, that the trio shows for Harry is not unlike, you know, the willingness a mother would show to, you know, protect her young child. You know, if you right. see your kid in the street, you're going to dive. In the- you don't usually see that when you're just talking about friends. 
And I think that it, that it's a good thing that we have Susan like this because you have to realize that she's reacting in a way that's completely normal. She's yeah. just been through an incredibly traumatic experience. And not only that, but she's just now come to terms with the fact that this is going to be a recurring event in this kid's life. And that's a hard thing to deal with. You know, anybody that's ever been involved with anyone that has some kind of problem, you know, obviously no one has in, in the real life has dealt with a problem as big as Voldemort. But, you know, anybody, you go into a relationship with someone that has this kind of problem hanging over their heads, it's going to be the big, you know, 800-pound gorilla in the room. And you can't ignore it forever. And at some point, you know, most of the time, you end up saying, you know what, I love you, but I can't do this anymore. And as for moving on with Terry, you know, from what we know of Terry, what little we know of him through books and, you know, through the canon and things like that, I'm, I would be fairly confident to say that the only reason that she picked Terry is because he is as far from Harry as you can get. Was he the one that Hermione dated in Curse of the Damned, the most boring person on the face of the planet? I think so. <laughs> yeah. I, think yeah, it, I, will, yeah I will say... Not that it matters, but I think the only thing we hear of Terry and Cannon is he's the one who jumps up in the Great Hall and yells, they did it, they did it, when they broke into Gringotts. That was his one line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, he's just, he's not Harry. He's safe, and he's kind of boring, and he doesn't say much, but he's not Harry. And, and I think that you can love somebody with everything that you have and still not be able to make it work. And when that happens, sometimes you just need a distraction. And I mean, I just, I can't fault Susan for what she did in, in this situation because I'm not sure that I wouldn't have behaved similarly. And I know a lot of people don't like her because she wasn't loyal to Harry, but I think she also serves as an example of, you know, sometimes you don't feel like dying for your friends and that's okay. I don't have a problem with all of that. I really had a problem when I, was reading Harry's reaction to how he felt about losing her, and I thought, she should just let it go. Like I know that it's supposed to have taken guts for her to go up and talk to Harry. Because we were hearing it from Harry's point of view, I was just like, would you just stay away from him? You know, I just... <laughs> I felt that she should have just just not done that, and that's when I disliked her. I, I still agree with her decision to dump Harry for her own selfish reasons if she must, that's fine. But she should then just, like, you know, if you've dumped him, you don't have to talk to him. I don't talk well, yeah, to him. I mean, she went up and said hi to him. I mean, it's not like she went up and started grinding Terry, and Terry was like, what's going on, what's going on? I mean, yeah, I mean... No, Phil wasn't tactful. I mean, it was, was not tactful. She's no. 16 years old. Name one 16 year old. Engaged the second time, I didn't write a letter to my ex-husband going, yeah, look, I'm getting married again and you are still living at home with your mother and you're 40. You know, you just don't <laughs> do that. Don't you? But you never put a stamp on it. All right, but let's talk about Susan's, the character of Susan, not whether Susan is good or evil, but let's talk about Susan's plot device in the story. What I think is the most, you know, powerful love stories, the most powerful relationships that you can read or see on movies or, or you see on TV, are the ones where it's not completely easy. I don't want to read a story where Harry and Ginny hook up in Chapter 6 and are, you know, lovers until the end of time, you know, from that point forward, because they read the script and saw it was an HG fic. 
I want to know why these characters love each other. And I know P.S. had a moment where she said if, if Melinda's fic hadn't come first, this fic may, may have made her into an HG shipper. What I like about that relationship is they go off in their own directions, Harry and Jimmy, in, in sixth year, in, in Morgan Le Fay. They go off and they do their own thing. Harry has Susan, and Jimmy has Dean, and they both experience tremendous loss due to the breakup that they each have. And then you think they're coming together, but then over the course of these chapters, you see Harry begin to doubt Jimmy. He's a really good liar. She's seamless. You can't tell when she's lying. What is she hiding? I can't ask her. And you see him do what most 16-year-old guys do. He settles for something easier, like Daphne Green... Uh, what is her name? Greengrass? Is that her name? Yeah. <laughs> Greengrass? Okay. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds very stupid. I don't know if that's her name. You know, she... You know, Greengrass is all around. <laughs> and the green grass grows all around. All around. <laughs> but, you know, it goes for Daphne Greengrass because it's easier. And Parvati because she's pretty. And Ginny is essentially like that high-maintenance relationship that maybe he doesn't want at that moment. And that's a good thing because I want to see these characters work through their problems. They're like Luke and Lorelai. You know what I mean? So that's my... What? Gilmore He's talking about Gilmore Girls. <laughs> well, I haven't seen that. You know what? Though? I just had this massive revelation that Daphne Greengrass... Greengrass. See, I'm talking like Greengrass is in Slytherin, and her name is Green. <laughs> I'm just amazed. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> like, whoa. Brilliant. You can't pull out the booby factor. Gen 2, <laughs> what was the point I brought up to you about Ginny's boobs earlier this evening? You said that, um, did Ginny just miraculously get a nice rack? Did she not have a nice rack? The year before. Does she, like, have no breasts in Morgan Le Fay? Because all of a sudden, Harry's, like, walking, and he's like, oh, my God, boobs! And he's, like, astounded <laughs> through that. Yeah, but he was looking at Susan's all year. He even that's says I, it. And that's what I told him. I said he wasn't interested in Jenny's boobs then. <laughs> it does amuse me, the fact that even if he was happily married last year, if, if, if they were that amazing, you think he would have been like, oh... That's nice. And then, like, moved on. He's like, oh, my God. funny because Harry is a boob man. (laughs) (laughs) She's the same girl she's always been. You just didn't notice her much before. So he just didn't notice her boobs before. Then notice how his perspective changes. When he sees her at the bar, he's like, oh, those school robes hide a lot, huh? And now all of a sudden she's back at school. He's like, ooh, those school robes, they shell off everything. I'm like, pick (laughs) one. Pick one. He's confused. Well, he's just well, he appreciates everything. I mean, there's just there's two tight t-shirts. There's small shorts. There's skimpy pajamas. There's. Do you hey, think uh, all of her clothes funny. shrunk in the dryer? Denny is wonderful and fun and has determination and spirit and breasts. He is such a perv. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love how he keeps referring to himself as the perv through all of this. And I love his little thing. He's like, you're a perv. It's wrong as younger sister. Snape and a thong. Snape and a thong. Snape and a thong. Okay, and I Well, chapter one opens with Ron having, you know, the visions of what's to come. And one of them is Snape wearing Neville Longbottom's, you know, grandmother's clothes. And you're like, is the flashback That was to keep to- him from having a sex dream about Hermione. Don't. Lie to me. You know, it's it's rather unfortunate that uh, all of the Hogwarts boys have to use Snape as a way to deflate their erections. 
why do they need to pick Snape in a dress or a nighty or a thong? It's like, I think that picturing Snape would be bad enough. Well, I don't know why they have to dress him up in all these disgusting things. Because, just, because if you're just thinking of something unpleasant, it might take a while to deflate yourself, I guess. So if you're thinking of something unpleasant and disgusting... Guys, and I think I'm, like- I'm uniquely qualified to answer this question. <laughs> what it is, is it's kind of like taking antibiotics. You eventually develop an immunity to it. So Snape works well for the first round. But after that, Snape just doesn't do it anymore. So you move on to Snape and a thong. And you try and leave yourself something a little bit worse in case of an emergency. Or you just carry around a book. Right. <laughs> um, stop talking. Stop talking now. Okay. <laughs> you. <laughs> okay. So I love the fact that one of the recurring themes in Ron's dream diary is is naked Hermione, and I love that he writes it down. <laughs> I love that he asks her if she wants to read it, and she reads it, and she's like, "I had no idea this was in here. You could have warned me." And he's like, "Oh, I forgot." I'm like, "You forgot." No. Get it, get it. And then he's like, then she's like, do you want to do these things? <laughs> and he's like, are you kidding me? One of the reasons I love this fic is, is because it's so dark and realistic, and there's things in the fic. Like, for example, I was saying this to Gen 2 earlier tonight. I like the fact that in this fic, rape can be a plot device. It's not a PG-13 fic or a PG fic where you just don't go there. So, because if, if there were a plot device where Harry's thinking, what is, you know, Draco holding over Ginny's head you would think the worst. You would think that. So in fics where they don't think that because it's above the rating level of the fic, it seems fake. It doesn't seem realistic. So I like the fact that this fic is very dark and goes down some of those roads. At the same time, I really love the comic relief scenes that we have, namely when Hermione's parents plan to pull her out of Hogwarts and she you know, hides at the burrow and she retreats to the burrow and spends the night with Ron. And Harry spends the night on the couch and then has to go help out Ginny because of her little problem and sleeps on her cot. And all of a sudden, Molly Weasley is home and madness ensues. I thought that was just terrifically written because even I, at the end of it, was like, Ron, you deserve to get caught. Can I just say one thing before we talk about, like, real plot? Can I say a Brit-picking thing? Because Mm -hmm. throughout their stay at the borough, they said that Harry and Hermione and whoever were sleeping on cots. And in Britain, a cot is a crib, like a baby. So that annoyed me. No, picturing, I was picturing Harry in a crib. That was. I just had to let that go because it was driving me nuts. I'm like, it's a camp bed. It's a camp bed. They're not sleeping in a little. Well, didn't they? She used bathroom too, right? Instead of Lou, she used bathroom. Well, you know the thing with Lou. Everyone says Lou when they mean bathroom. The loo is only the toilet. So she'll send someone to the shower and they'll head into the loo. I'm like, no, if they're going to shower, they're going to the bathroom. The only thing <laughs> they go to the loo is when they're going to the toilet, to pee, to do a number one or a number two. That is the loo. If you're going to shower or brush your teeth, you do that in the bathroom, not the loo. Sorry. So is it a different <laughs> room? Do, do English homes have a bathroom and a loo? The no, the toilet, loo is the toilet. The toilet and the bathroom are separate. The toilet is a little room next to the bathroom. The bathroom has the shower, the bath, the sink. The toilet is a room next door. The little teeny tiny room, the smallest room in the house. That's the loo. Huh. Yeah, this is see. very informative. Yeah, see, here so it's when, all in the same room. Yeah, well, you can get them all in the same room. An ensuite is usually attached to the master bedroom, and that's all in the same room. But the main bathroom and toilet in the house is often... Most commonly, two separate rooms. You have the. Sometimes they're built. There's a little alcove, and then there's two little doors, and you can go in and you can see the hand washing 
um, thing in the alcove and then there's a door to the bathroom and a door to the toilet and they're all in the same space. They're always together because you, so you can go and wash hands. But the, if the toilet's in the bathroom, it's because it's a flat or um, an apartment, you know, or it's an ensuite next to the master bedroom. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's separate. That's incredibly informative. Well, the one thing that got to me during these chapters was when, because I just spent seven hours of jury duty yesterday as we're recording this, and I, I'm in courts all the time at work, so I'm, I'm familiar with how American courts, courtrooms work, the criminal courtrooms, and it just, it, it, I don't know how it works in England, I'm a, I, I, I own Rumpel of the Bailey on DVD, let me just gloat about that right now, but... You know, when they walk and they're like, all rise, Superior Court is now in session, the Honorable Justice Bashir, I'm like, are they in downtown Manhattan all of a sudden? Like, no, that happens, that happens. That happen? Okay. That happens, because we have the same British system here, and when I went to court the other day, well, not the other, a couple of years ago, we didn't pay something and they caused, anyway, um, <laughs> we had to, and I've seen it. bill from on, the previous episode. No, we had to go and we had to stand up when the person came in the room and I've seen it on um, um, Blue Healers is a TV show that's here. I haven't seen Rumpole of the Bailey but no, you have to stand up when the judge person comes in. No, just the language itself was, like, I think you're right because I'm not really that familiar with with the um, English. No, all rise. It'd be all rise. It did seem very American but, I mean, I've watched more American TV than British or Australian TV because there's more of it. Whenever I've seen it, it's been pretty much the same. Might be some differences, but it didn't throw me out as much as the cot did. I'm just thinking, it's not a cot, it's not a cot, it's not a cot. It's a camp bed, it's a camp bed, it's a and camp bed. He doesn't brush his teeth in the loo, he doesn't brush his <clears throat> in the loo. I mean, that's disgusting. Brushing your teeth in the loo is absolutely disgusting. Uh-huh. Just foul. I may vomit. Can I just say, I love the, the crack taken against the uh, Harmonians when Harry rush, he gets into Ron's room and Hermione, you know, takes her shirt off just as he whizzes around, you know, to avoid seeing her, you know, half naked. Because, you know, she may be a pretty girl and everything, but come on, she's his sister. Doesn't want to think about her boobs. Not at all. Everyone else's boobs, fair game. Not Hermione's. They're off limits. Exactly. <laughs> and Molly Weasley, too. I don't think he takes a look at Molly Weasley, either. He's not... <laughs> oh, that's just... <laughs> Dude, what are you doing? Mr. and Mrs. Weasley go on a date, which I thought was really fun. And then, uh, <laughs> that kind of squeaked Ginny out. She didn't want to talk about that at all. And also, Ron is George. He cooks. I thought that was great. And used <laughs> herbs, which, you know, warmed my and, heart. And and why is it that Ron, in so many fanfics, is such a good cook? So much. It's a survival thing. Yeah. Do you remember the scene from Melinda's fic where Harry was aghast to find that there is a seventh-year Muggle Studies course? He's like, why have I never heard of this? Harry, you're so busy. You, you, you're abducted by Voldemort every May, and, you know, we didn't want to tell you until, you know, why haven't you asked about your parents yet either, Harry? And it's like, he was like, wow, I can't believe I've never heard about the Muggle Studies course. And then, you know, during Paradigm of Uncertainty, they have a wedding in the Great Hall. I'm like, oh, yeah, they rent this out for weddings all the time. Well, I don't remember any weddings when I was here. Oh, they memory charm you, so you forget to go down on Saturdays. Oh, that's amazing. So they always have these scenes where it's like they retcon <laughs> these things into the characters. It's like the one scene where Ron's like, I'll make dinner. And it's like, Harry's like, Ron can cook. And all I could picture was Tom Felton to the guy, the kid that plays crab. You can read? Like, you And it's not like he puts like a bagel in the toaster. He makes like a chocolate cake and like, he makes all these complicated dishes. I'm like, you could really, and Harry's like, wow, I had no idea you could cook all this time. It never even came up in conversation. 
because of the big kitchen they have in the dormitory that he can use. I mean, come on. Well, the thing is, the thing that gets me, no one in fanfic ever seems to use the fact that Harry can cook. Harry is the one that can already cook, and yet he never makes an event when Mrs. Weasley's out. It's always Ron. I'm like, but Harry can cook. So why don't they get Harry to cook? That's true. I never never thought of that, but it's true. It makes sense. He can make really good scrambled eggs. And bacon. Yeah. I bet you he can cook other stuff, too. <laughs> oh, my God. Can we talk about my favorite line from the story when Harry's sleeping the Dursley's house and Moody is just like, dude, you got to lay off the weed. And he just leaves. <laughs> and Vernon and Petunia are just staring at Dudley like, what the hell? And then, like, all the old neighbors and Dudley's rolling around on the ground and Petunia's like, leave him behind! Like, running I know. The- <laughs> they barricade themselves in the house. Two words. Dudley. High, so incredibly satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the perfect fun. And you're and like, I couldn't remember if this is the fic where like Petunia comes down and gives him the leather, or she like hugs him goodbye. Like I remember, it's, or if this is the one where it's like Melinda and they get shot dead in the front steps by you know like a random drive-by shooting. <laughs> but like it's like I couldn't remember what happened. It's like Dudley, things like rolling around on the ground, and, and Vernon's like, oh crap, what do I do? What do I do? I think that is my my favorite Dursley parting in a fic. I've ever, ever seen is yeah, was them just walking away hard. while Dudley is rolling around on the ground, stoned out of his mind. <laughs> They're peeking out the window. Is he still out there? Okay, close the window, quick. Brilliant! Let's talk about Lucius Malfoy and the trial and the creepy lawyer lady. I am very confused by Lucius Malfoy because I am still trying to figure out what happened, who the creepy lawyer lady is, and all that. And I'm actually pretty intrigued with that because I want to know what's going on because I can't figure it out. Like, I figured out Ginny was an empath. That was pretty obvious. Oh, spoiler. You read after, you read after the end. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I could, you could tell. You knew what it was. Like, I was like, her mind is like, oh, I got it. You know, but this Lucius Malfoy, that's really um, mysterious for me. And I'm looking forward to finding out what it is because I just, I'm like, completely no idea. Well, what do you think right now? I think they're off to track with the polyjuice. I don't know why I think that. I've got nothing to back that up. It just doesn't seem like it fits. All the things they put together don't fit. I feel like they've... Because they in Paris... Because they used it again. I mean, like, you wouldn't just you take an old plot device and use it again. Like, there has to be some sort of twist. I think the lawyer had to have known about it to have used that, and she got cleared under Veritas Serum. So... I'm I very confused as to what had now, actually happened. I bet she's like a Death Eater, and like they all did it together, and then they like obliviated her so she could lie under Veritas Serum. Just Does it work like that? How, how far has everyone read? You Chapter know. 16. I've, I've read like to 20, Not so it's not real far past. The issue I had with the story was just an issue of um, plot. Okay, end of Order of the Phoenix, Lucius Malfoy is captured by Dumbledore at the Ministry of Magic. He is publicly outed as, as a captured Death Eater. Um, Morgan Le Fay begins, there's a breakout, as I recall, at Azkaban, and Lucius Malfoy escapes. So he is now a wanted Death Eater, and he has escaped from the penal system. He is an escaped convict. And he is captured again at the site of, an, of another Death Eater incident at the Riddle House. And I know they referenced in there that they want Harry because he can testify with all of Malfoy's past deeds, but it really feels like, and I'm not sure if this is just me reading it badly, it feels like Malfoy is all smug, and I know it's not Malfoy at the table, but it's like he's all smug at the table, 
thinking that, you know, I'm going to get acquitted and you can't prove anything, and they keep saying there's very little to prove. They captured him at the Ministry of Magic in Book 5, and he escaped from Azkaban. It seems like they're only prosecuting him on the allegations at the Riddle Manor, and they're forgetting the fact that he was captured, you know, at the crime scene and escaped. Like, is it just me, or...? I don't really understand that either, unless it's just the fact that, you know, he's so rich that apparently he can buy his own verdict. Well, I get confused with legal stuff anyway, so I'm probably not the best person to ask. I didn't think it was all that unusual. <laughs> I try and like, hey, he's a I'll, I'll, I'll admit that didn't occur to me either. I don't get half the legal stuff. So, you know, when when I said that everyone says all rise in British and Australian courts, I could be completely wrong. I could be telling a lie. <laughs> <laughs> She's I lying just, about I just, the loo, too. I'm not lying about the loo or the cot, though. Those are true. <laughs> I just see Lucius Malfoy as our version of O.J. Simpson. We all know he's guilty. You know, he's going to get off anyway. Uh, actually, it didn't work out that way for O.J., though, if you recall. Not, <laughs> not recently it didn't, but back in 1995 it did. Well, we haven't really talked about um, Ron and Hermione yet, and they're, and they're pretty big here. They're, they're, they're pretty central characters. I realized something... Um, while I was doing the reading this week, I realized why I like Ron so much in this fic and why I usually don't like him very much. Usually, we read from Harry's perspective. And from Harry's perspective, we see Ron without Ron's own perspective. So Ron comes across as a blockhead. He comes across as over, is so overly protective of Ginny, it's annoying. He comes across as dim... You know, so many unflattering perspectives of Ron. You know, it's really how we interpret the character. Through all of Morgan Le Fay, you have Ron's perspective, so you know what he's thinking. You see his compassion for Ginny. You see his protectiveness. It's portrayed in a positive light, so you can accept Ron. And at the same time, you know, Harry, who we read about in fic after fic after fic after fic, who goes through the same problems over and over and over again, you get to gloss over Harry. So you know he went off to the ministry to, to prep with the defense lawyer, but or to prep with the prosecutor. But you don't have to see it. And you know he's dealing with a loss of serious, but he's doing it with Susan in the other room. So it, it lets you get away from the, from the things that sometimes get really tired to read. And I even noticed it in these chapters. I think that there, you know, every scene from Ron's perspective, you know, with Hermione, I think he's just terrific. I think the scene where Hermione has indicated that she wants to be a little bit more playful in the bedroom and Ron just doesn't catch on for like half an hour, and then he finally does, I thought that, that was just fun to read. The scene where Harry attacks Draco Malfoy in the kitchen and then Ron comes down and nearly kills him, Ron was pissing me off in that scene because it was from Harry's perspective. So he wasn't listening to Ginny, he was flying off the handle, and it was annoying to read. So I think it's actually interesting. I think I like Ron better when it's from his point of view. There's one scene um, in Chapter 3 that is from Ron's perspective that he's with Jenny. It's a really, really, really great conversation. The title of the chapter is The Duties of a Big Brother. Ron is approaching Jenny about what happened in the Riddle House and how he feels compelled about what happened in the Riddle House and what happened in the Chamber of Secrets. And whether he should be taking better care of her as her big brother. And Ginny and Ron have a really good conversation about how you deal with things from a survival standpoint when you've been traumatized from any kind of trauma. 
when I read this, it resonated with me, and I thought that it was really, really well written. It was really well done. He says, you're thinking about that night again, aren't you? And then there was this slightest edge to her voice, and he nodded. Ron, how many times do I have to tell you I'm fine? She took a deep breath. I'm not being possessed, and... I know, said Ron. Look, Jen, I'm sorry, I can't help it. That sick bastard, what he said to you... I remember what he said, said Jenny, gripping her quill tightly. I remember a lot of things. Then why don't you ever talk about it, said Ron, leaning forward and gripping her hand again. Jenny, I know I wasn't there for you when it happened, and I've been a shitty big brother to you for a long time. But it's me, okay? Can't you... can't you talk to me? I don't want to talk about it, Jenny snapped, yanking her hand away. Damn it, Ron, I spent a month in St. Mungo's talking about it with some stupid psychoanalyst, some complete idiot who was trying to help me get over the trauma of being possessed by a wizard whose name he couldn't even bring himself to say. But it goes on from that, and it just was a really good conversation between the two of them, and Ron was really fantastic. I love that moment there that got added into the fact that the therapist couldn't even mention Voldemort's name, so how much could Jenny really, really got that added? Really, that really got me. I, I was like, when I read that, I was like, oh, wow, yeah. And I thought, that is really true. And that happens sometimes. People want you to talk about stuff, and you're going, why should I talk about it with you? You have absolutely no idea. And sometimes you need people that are removed from it, and sometimes you need people that understand what you're saying. Like I prefer not to have, for example, a marriage counsellor who is not married. I'm like, well, that's just stupid, you know. I don't think that you can do it personally. And I've, it felt like that same thing to me, you know. He can't even say a name. I'm like, how can he possibly help? Well, and sometimes yeah. you just you choose not to wallow. You have to choose sometimes that you're going to survive the trauma you've been through instead of, you know, being pulled down by it all the time. And I think that Jenny, by that point, had chosen that she was going to rise above or she was going to try her damnedest to rise above what had happened to her. And she just wasn't really interested in mucking around in it anymore. So well, it was also a few years later as well. You don't want to drag things on like that for years and years and years and years. Right. You know, well, you and, move and on. Point- yeah, people don't even realize it for years, too. How many times do Harry and Ron in these chapters realize the fact that Ginny needed them years ago, especially Ron? You know, as soon as Ron went to Hogwarts, he forgot all about Ginny, his best friend. And what impact did that have on her, you know, getting the Riddle diary and turning to Tom Riddle? And what impact did that have? You know, he's the one who wants to protect her. Is that because he realized he let her down before? So I just really love the writing here because it really shows a lot of complex layers to all these relationships. I just want to say, too... Um, Good night to Keza. Keza has to take off because she is from the future and she needs to deal with some future related issues that I don't know about yet. I have to go to the third Christmas concert in a week with my kids. So. All right. <laughs> Bye, Bye Keza. Bring an iPod, listen to Puffle when they're not on. <laughs> Bye. 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 Well, it, so. it even kind of goes into that a little bit further down where she says, don't you get it, Ron? Ginny went on. When you left for school, I had nobody. For a whole fucking year, I was miserable because my favorite brother had gone off to school and left me here to hang out with Mom, who, let's face it, isn't always a barrel of laughs. I couldn't help going to school, Ron said angrily, as he stood as well. I know, said Jenny, and her eyes filled with tears, and she brushed them away impatiently. I know you couldn't, but you could have. you could have been nicer when I showed up. You could have in there. Was anyone else just blown away that Sue just swore? Did that shock anyone else? <laughs> no, I'm not blown away. Quote, sorry. No, she sorry. teaches small children. 
I think in her, I think in Sue's quiet spare time when she's alone in rooms where there aren't people, I think that all the words that come out of her mouth start with the word fuck. <laughs> or when I'm around chickens. Children I, I, I think that's how that she deals with her frustrations from her long days with small people. Excellent! <laughs> well, one thing I really love about the characterization of Harry and Ginny here is, you know, people walk into a story saying, okay, I'm going to set Harry up with Ginny here, and they say, why? And some poor stories, they just put them together because they're the only two people left. It's like she's the only girl left in the Earth, so she will be with Harry because Ron and Hermione are teamed up, and Luna has this thing with Neville, so there's no one really left. Um, and I don't think that works really well because, you know, they're not, like, on Survivor or whatever. They're not the only people left in the world. Then there's other fics where they try and find an alternate reason, and usually it's the fact that Ginny is the blunt one and Harry needs the blunt one because Ron and Hermione kind of tiptoe around him, you know, to some extent. Um, and that works well, too, but I think what I really like from this story is they play up the point that Ginny, because of what happened at the Riddle House, everyone's walked around her on eggshells. Because, you know, poor Jimmy, she, you know, she was taken for a year and she was brainwashed and all these terrible things happened and she wasn't strong enough to stop them. And now the same person who did it to her is in her face tormenting her and yada, yada, yada. And, and poor Harry, look with everything he's going through this summer. It wasn't this terrible. On his birthday, he has to testify in court and he has, you know, erectile dysfunction and all these awful, awful things. <laughs> and I like the fact that the two of them can get together and say, you know what? We're stronger than people think and we have that in common and that's the source of bond between them. And I think that's, that's a good thing, and I think it really helps unify them and doesn't make it seem like, you know, Harry, I'm sorry, that Ron and Hermione are up shagging in the bedroom and Harry and Ginny are the only ones left, so why don't they hook up too? It's not that type of story, which I think is, re- is really to its credit. And I also like that because this fic has a higher rating, they're able to imply that when Jenny was in the Chamber of Secrets, she wasn't just being controlled by Tom Riddle, that it was more sinister. Because that's what I think happened. I think that darker things happened to her when she was being possessed by Tom. So Harry's really got, you know, all this nasty stuff going on. And so, you know, I see them having a really deep connection. So they understand each other. I like stories where more happened to Ginny than just the fact that she killed a couple chickens. I like the fact that the story is darker and gets into that because J.K. Rowling wasn't looking for that when she wrote the story about what happened to that 11-year-old girl. She was looking to tell the story about Harry the Hero riding in on, on you know, Fox with the sword in his hand and, and slaying the basilisk. And the one thing that really disappointed me at the end of Chamber of Secrets was the line where Ginny was happy and all of her problems were solved and she was feeling wonderful and it was a throwaway line. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. She's in therapy for the next six years. No, because I'm going to tell you that there are plenty, there are millions you know, hundreds of thousands of 11-year-old girls who have had th- things happen to them that will affect them for the rest of their lives. And I think that that's the kind of thing that happened to Jenny, yeah. which is just exactly the kind of thing that's happening to Harry. And I think that that's what makes them soulmates. Yeah, exactly. It. Because he's able to understand her horror. He's able to help her through that. And she's able to help him through his... And and no other person for either one of them would, would be able to understand or even probably live with them in a companionship role and be able to empathize 
it's just all the like, chemistry that they have together. It's like the scene where, like what I was saying before, when Molly charges into the burrow and Harry is in the bathroom and he's talking like Hermione. I was waiting for the scene where he comes out wearing like a hairnet, <laughs> like pretending to be Hermione with like, you know, watermelons in his shirt. That was the funniest part where he was like, yeah. he like, he spoke in her, like a voice that like didn't sound anything like Hermione. And then like 10 seconds later, Ginny pretends to be Hermione speaking in her normal voice. Molly is like, I'm sure, in that scene. I'm I am so sure my mother, if I was pretending to be somebody else, my mother would know it was me. Yeah. Even if so, I was, like, speaking in, like, a, a fake, like, French accent. Isn't at some point in the story, doesn't Molly drop that she knows that Hermione was up there? I don't think it was in the first 16 chapters. She has to know. I'm sorry. They are, like, the stupidest... It's like, Hermione... Yes? Like... It's dumb of Harry and Ginny to, like, have Harry play Hermione and then have Ginny play Hermione. I mean, Harry should have just kept playing Hermione. <laughs> Hermione has laryngitis, fortunately. <laughs> like, yeah, but, I don't know, it's just, the whole thing just came across, it, it was really funny, but I, it made Molly look kind of ridiculously stupid, and I'm like, Molly cannot be this stupid. Molly has to understand what's going on here, so I... Speaking of which, okay, Ron's a seer, Jenny's an empath. How did we keep the secret from everybody in the Weasley family with them being so incredibly close? You know, how did that just fall by the wayside? We haven't heard yet at the end of Chapter 16. Do we know how long Jenny has been an empath? Or- well, she makes the comment that she was studying with Madame Pomfrey the, the previous year. It makes it sound like... Based on some... Some of the research says that it shows at puberty. I kind of wonder if she didn't get it from Voldemort. Because she makes a comment, and this may be after 16, I can't remember, where it really sounds like a horcrux. Like, she's talking about how the diary had his soul in it, and there's still part of his soul in her. Possibly. I mean, I know I'm totally off base, because y'all are, like, the ones of you who have finished the fic are, like, rolling your eyes, but... Mm, No, I, (laughs) I think... When Harry reads the, when he's doing the research, he reads onset at puberty and later on. I I want to know, like, why Ron is a seer and Ginny is an empath. And then what about the others? What did Percy do to get the bad genes? You know, I mean. (laughs) Well, you have the twins too. I mean, come on. Well, I took it that Ron's seerdom has, is completely as a result of the brain. Oh, yeah, the brain, right? I'm glad you brought up the brain, because, like, I would accept it more if, like, one of them had special abilities. Dumbledore said that Ron may have been predisposed to it, but it was the brain from the Department of Mysteries that did it. Mm-hmm. Which, I'm actually glad to see that in the story, because really, what the hell was the point of the brain in this year, in the canon? I mean, and it's written very well. Order and Half-Blood Prince, I was waiting for something to happen with the brain. I thought all the stuff in the Department of Mysteries was going to be really important, because it was all so cool. Like, it really creeped me out where Ginny keeps watching the bird. And Harry has to physically drag her away from that. Like, I thought all the things that they were all fascinated by was, like, symbolic of something that would have ramifications for those characters. 
I'm the only one that can picture the Star Trek episode right now where Brent Spiner is like, Data, you are the bird. I don't know why. So <laughs> well, no, don't you remember that? It was like a bird that, it was, it was like representing time. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. like a bird, it was like an egg that kept hatching and turning back into an egg. They all had something like that. Like, Ron had the brain, and I just thought that it would be, like, wildly significant to each of these characters. Well, we all thought that the love room would be significant, too. <laughs> I love John Noe's explanation of the love room. It's like a red room with like a heart shaped bed with like the. <laughs> you saying it like that, the love room makes it sound like it's some like seedy love hotel or something. They like the part where Harry's where Harry's like you know. So how do you want me to be, defeat Voldemort? Like ask him to be my boyfriend? Like make me a man, Voldemort? Like it's like what, like what are we talking about? Like, I'm sorry, I had to check to make sure Rinna was still present. <laughs> Make me a man. <laughs> <laughs> the Love Room. There's a hotel in oh, Indianapolis God. called the Sybaris, and they have all these, like, little pools in each of the hotel rooms, like, with little slides, or you can be in a jungle room, and it has a waterfall in it or whatever and you know the whole idea just squicks me because I'm wondering you know was someone else in the pool who had the room before you and was there enough chlorine in there or whatever so when I think of the love room I I get the visual you know I'm like thinking of the of the hotel with the round bed with the coin op massage shaker Well, imagine it was the very end where, where Ron and Hermione go off to their he- their new head boy and head girl quarters, which are conveniently located well away from Gryffindor Tower. And Jenny's like, "Do you think they? How many how many times do you think those beds were christened?" And Harry doesn't want to think about it. She's like, "You know, your parents were in there once." I don't want to think. About it. <laughs> Can I just say that really always bugs me. Like it always bugs me when they have like head boy and head boy rooms. <laughs> The head boy and head boy room. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's the Massachusetts version of Hogwarts. Sorry about that. <laughs> what bothers me is the is the head boy and the head girl rooms, and the head girl can always go in the head boy rooms, and the head boy can never go in the head girl rooms. Okay. Because well, like, we'll never find a way around that plot hole. I love, I love how Hermione was trying to, like, break the charm, but it, it didn't work. She was getting so angry. No, really, I can do it. Ron, I can do it. He's like, just go to my room. No, no, I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Hermione. Oh, was I the only one, like, I love, like, when Hermione splinched herself during her first apparition <laughs> test, I was picturing Lucy Ricardo at the table, like, Wah! and any time they said anything, she just broke down crying again. And finally, Ron has to be like, shut up, people are dying out there. And you're like, okay, that's a little over the top. There's one little thing between Ron and Harry in Chapter 5 that is so funny that I giggled, giggled and giggled and giggled over it. Are we that obvious? Ron asked sheepishly. Blatantly, said Harry. Subtle isn't in your vocabulary, you know. <laughs> I just thought Harry, you know, pointing at Ron and, and talking about subtlety, I just... <laughs> 
I'm like, pot, kettle, black. <laughs> well, my favorite point, too, was the part where Ron is naked in the bedroom. And Harry's like, oh, man, God, I don't need to see that. Oh, gee, God, God. And his, like, eyes are bleeding. And all I can picture is, in Morgan Le Fay, every other line was, and Harry and Ron went up to the Gryffindor Tower. They pulled off their clothes and put on their pajamas and got into bed. I'm like, okay, but you've never seen him naked. Well, he wasn't looking. It's not yeah, like... But they're on the Quidditch team together, and they've been using the same showers for seven years. There's a difference between seeing him naked and seeing him naked. You know what I mean? It's like... And there's also a difference between the kind of naked you are when you're changing in the gym and the kind of naked you are after you've just been stopping your girlfriend. I mean, there's a difference. Can you, yeah. hold on, can, can you please spell that? <laughs> Isn't have, that like an S-C-H-T-U-P-I-N-G? Yes. Stupping? Yeah. I love that. Brilliant! That's like Dave Leatherman in Crater. Stupping. Okay, I'm going for that for the rest of the day. Oh my gosh, why have I never heard of this word? You've You've never never heard heard of stupping? I've heard of schlopping, but I've never heard of stupping. Well, I keep getting confused by snog and shag, because I think Huggles needs glasses over here, so I can never, like, I have to squint. I'm like, what are they doing? (laughs) It's like they were snog, it's written, (laughs) they were snogging. They were were snagging. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like they're <laughs> snogging, and then then Molly jumped in, and they flew apart, and I read Shaggy, I'm like, you think that will help? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it was getting very confusing for me as a reader. Okay, let me ask you this. I direct this question towards everyone in the room here. Now, we've all, you know, been exuberant young people, and, you know, we've all had, you know, various issues, you know, in early relationships and so on and so forth. The way that Ron and Hermione's relationship is written in these chapters is that they will do it anywhere, anytime, anyhow, regardless of who's there, who could walk it. Like, they're, 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 they're absolutely doing it like rabbits in these chapters. Ron wants to do it on the train, they do it by the lake, they do it in his bedroom, they, like, all over the place. Does it seem completely natural to you? Or does yes. it seem... Yeah. Uh, I don't fight Hermione, even if she has Ron, and even if she likes Ron very much, I still don't believe she would agree to do it on the train. Oh, no, I don't agree with you. All all I can picture is Harry and Hermione from Paradigm of Uncertainty when Ron is back at the hospital, and, like, they're in his office, and, like, the guy at the next cube. (laughs) Like, all I can picture is that scene. I'm like, (laughs) but chicka, bow, wow. No, like, it's to the point where, like, you know... Like, Molly goes outside to the mailbox, and Ryan's like, we've got 30 seconds, come on! I'm like, oh, calm down. <laughs> oh, I believe it. You don't remember, you don't remember that being like that? Yeah, I'm kind of uh, floored, Brian. Well, you're a guy. Well, I know that, but like, if I have 30 seconds available, I, I, I may hold off for a more opportune moment down the road. It's a quickie. I mean, I remember a point when we were first married when it would be lunch hour and we would just skip lunch. All right, can I just point out something that's now making me uncomfortable? There was a 10-minute moment here where Rinna wasn't talking. And I have um, I have a series of questions to ask her after the podcast. Uh, no, I just got that. <laughs> No, I completely think that it's realistic that Ron and Hermione are going at it. They've just discovered sex. They've just had sex for the first time. And not only that, they had sex for the first time, and then they don't see each other for X. No, that's fine. 
it was the and it was the, the point where like literally like any time they had like a free moment they would do it then. Like I'm like, don't you get tired? <laughs> no, and and see, teen, come on. Am I not remembering my teens, well? You must not be. And Hermione is so wound up. You know, it's always the tightly wound ones that are the stone cold freaks. It's always the booky ones. I don't necessarily agree with the people who turn Hermione into like a bondage and leather furry fetish dominatrix queen person. Because I think that takes it a little bit too far. But especially think about it in the term of they're in war. You don't always know when your next opportunity to be together is going to be. I see it from the perspective that as a cannon shipper, I suppose, but, you know, she and Ron are obviously meant to be together and they're mature beyond their years and and they're horny teenagers. (laughs) And they're horny teenagers. And they're horny teenagers. (laughs) It's like the point where Harry and Ginny are on their brooms and she's like, it's rough, huh? He's like, yeah. You at that horny stage now? He looks at her like, I didn't know Jimmy knew what horny was. <laughs> He's like, yeah. And like his broom starts to decline towards the earth. <laughs> I really do like that plot device. The fact that there was so much happening with Ginny last year that we never saw. And there still is memory served stuff that we've heard so far that there's even more to hear about. So what I really like about this fic is I really like the characterizations are just so deep, especially like even Dumbledore as we get into this. We had the scene where Dumbledore walked into the Great Hall with his walker, and, and McGonagall's got the oxygen tank, and he's got the little tennis balls at the bottom of the walker to help it slide better. <laughs> and everyone's like, wow, he looks really old. Has anyone else gone on to this? No, no, no he looks this old last year. And he's he, got the flu. He, He's got the flu, and he resigns. And my thing was, I didn't think you were going to make it to the end of dinner, so like, it wasn't a surprise when I came, but... That absolutely this, broke my heart. I don't know, it just... That was so sad. What's everyone think about the Dumbledore retirement? I haven't read to next week. I'm going to say something stupid again. But I think I was really surprised, because that's not a plot device you see often. Like, I think that's what more surprised me just because it was a plot device that she used, because usually he uh, dies. Well, let me put it this way, too. He's obviously not in good shape. Oh, yeah, I'm um, sure he'll die. I mean, I'm not like, yeah. hey, oh, he got off scot-free. He doesn't have to die. But it's sad that it's original, because <laughs> you'd think it'd be the most obvious thing in the world, but it never is used that way. It's sad that it's original, but when you're, when one of your male leads is 157 years old, the fact that he may die of natural causes is like the ab is the abnormal fic. You know what I mean? It's like he's really, really very old and he's slowing down. And Voldemort feared him above none other, but now he's literally he's an infirm old man. And one of the things I like about the fic is it's it's a very natural fic. Harry gets horny because he's seventeen. And Harry wants to be with all the girls, because he's 17. And when Harry worries about Ginny, he worries about things like rape, because those are real concerns that you should be worried about. Dumbledore doesn't have to be, you know, struck down by a Vodakadavra, and he doesn't have to, you know, touch the hell or whatever. You know, it may just be that he's old and sick, and that's something that everyone's grandfather you know, experiences, and that's something that we all experience. So what I like about the story is it's a real Harry Potter story with a real sci-fi plot, as it should, 
But it's also about real people and the real problems that we all experience, so it's very accessible. That's one of the reasons I enjoy it so much. Because I was listening to it, I think I missed a little something, um, so I won't go very far into it. But my prediction was that it had something to do with the new DADA teacher. I don't think that's what it was now, but when I was listening Uh, to this point, I, I thought, I wonder if... See, I'm sure one of my things is wrong because I don't trust Daphne and I don't trust Hopkirk. And I'm sure I think, that- I think I think Hopkirk rocks. I started off not liking the Hopkirk character because it's like she glides in and she's not even touching the ground and all the guys are staring at her breasts. Because really, if you have breasts in the story, just don't expect anyone to look into your eyes because it's all over. And, you know, she almost seemed like a Mary Sue. She seemed like a very supernatural character and there didn't seem to be a lot of depth to her. So I, I didn't like her, and I didn't want to like her. By the end of the story, I really like her character. Mm-hmm. And it means that much more because it was, like, against my will. <laughs> I found myself <laughs> liking the character. And I was actually sad when I couldn't read any more from the character when that happens. And that, to me, was a, that was a big deal. She's a very compelling character by the end of the story. I guess yeah. we'll have to see. Yeah, P.S. is like, I'm not sure... Well, this is about I, Daphne, P.S., that you don't like. She's a hoe. She's a skank yes, man hoe. she's a hoe, and she's, um... You've never used that word before in your life, have you, P.S.? Right, I haven't. Don't lie. I like the fact that Hermione has a list of clues. It's like, she's like, okay, now, how are we going to keep our information correct? I know. Let's make a list. I can just imagine she'd be the kind of person who, she has a to-do list that she writes down every day, and she writes it out by hand, and every time she gets to check something off her to-do list, she, like, has a little mini orgasm. It's, like, so cathartic (laughs) for her to check it off her to-do list. And so if she ever does anything that's That's not on the list, she, like, writes it on the list so she can check it. Yeah, you do have to write it on the list if you do something that's not on the list. Renee, you're actually discussing P.S.'s personal daily journal right here. I just didn't know you're hitting a little too close to home. The word is anal. I always see uh, Hermione is trying to um, officially charm a palm pilot, you know, to work in the magical community. Well, it's like her trying to break down the door to Ron's room. Come on, I can make this work. Well, was I the only one you expected when she made the list of all the clues that they had to be like, number five, Ron sees Sword of Gryffindor. Number six, I'm on top. Number seven, (laughs) Ron's on top. And, like, Harry and Ginny are like, it's like the moment from Curse of the Damned where it's like, Albus, friend, mentor, lover. And I'm like, I am very uncomfortable right now. Could you imagine, like, oh, my. There is that section in, what is it, chapter 10, maybe, 9 or 10, when Hermione and Ron are fighting, and she's like, well, we have sex, and Harry and... Jenny look at each other and they're like, okay, this is uncomfortable. Well, it's like, and you know they have it because, like, Harry just slept in the shed. Because Hermione and Ron have been down at the lake with no clothes on for 17 hours. <laughs> the people of Ottery St. Catchpole like, oh my god. Like, put some clothes on. I was listening to that scene, and when she said that, I'm like, oh, that's not good. And Hermione, like, throws her hand over her mouth, and the others just shake their heads in disappointment. (laughs) I think one of the things that just always makes me laugh a lot is 
just the interactions between Harry and Ginny because they kind of slide back and forth from being funny to being slightly sexy to being, holy shit, I'm a pervert. There's a lot of movement in these passages. It's not like you just sit there and read page after page after page of dialogue and you're just like, oh my god, this is so redundant. Their conversations are very snappy and they have a a good pace to them. Yeah, after the um, quote-unquote the rape scene, Harry goes through this internal monologue and he says, because they almost kiss, Ginny's my friend, a good friend. You almost kissed her. I'm lonely and horny, remember? True, but is that the only reason? I don't know. I like her. She's really cool. Well, she's bloody hell. She's beautiful, isn't she? How did I not notice that before? Well, you were in love with Susan before. Ah, and he just keeps going, well, do I just want to snog? Well, I don't know. I'm tired. (laughs) It's a very different experience when you listen to these chapters in audio form, because at some points you can't tell what's in italics and what's, you know, the beginning of a new section. So the, the scene where Ron's down at the lake, he's with Hermione, he blacks out, and he has um, the dream sequence where I believe that was the one where he's holding Gryffindor's sword with the gloves on, and then mm-hmm. dude with his shirt on with the brown hair is, is giving him the messages and all that stuff, and, and he wakes up. There was a line in there where he thinks to himself it wasn't real. And yes, it was, said the voice in his head. When I heard that, I thought there was an actual voice in his head saying, yes, it was, Ron. And for the rest of the story, there'd be a little, like, you know, devil walking around on Ron's shoulder saying, oh, yeah. okay. I'm like, oh, my God, there's actually a person in it. So, Even I, reading it, the parts where Harry's, like, having a conversation with himself really threw me. I don't know what I thought it was. I think I was getting um vibes from, like, a soul bond fic or something where he's got Ginny in his head. So, like, I go into, like, italicized conversation as being that. So I'm like, Ginny, how did you get it? I mean, it was so confusing. Now, see, well, I thought that, that was really well done. You know, like the dream sequences, like when Ron is having his dreams and it's kind of stream of consciousness, you know, where he's in one place and then he ends up in another. and Or when Harry's having an internal monologue with himself, I thought that they were very realistic and, and that they were very well done. It's me being an idiot and not being yeah, I'm with P.S. I'm being an idiot, too. It's like I'm reading it. It's like, yes, the voice in Harry's head said. I'm like, oh, my God, this is a voice in Harry's head. He's possessed by Voldemort. <laughs> and it turns out she's just conscious. But no, they were really well done, especially the one where um, Harry's holding the sword and Ron wakes him up, and it's like the sword is like, pulled from his hand. And that's, that's the description for him waking up. Which I thought was a really good moment. I forget if it's the same time, but Ron... No, I'm sorry, it's not. It's, it's later on when he wakes up and... Uh, Ginny is gone. And I just thought that scene was very creative because it's like the organized searching parties for, you know, like, should we tell an adult she's missing? No, she'd be very embarrassed. Let's wander the house alone with our wands, and if anything happens, set the house on fire, and that will be it. It's like it's the stupidest plan in the history of the world. Like, like, okay, worst case scenario, you know, Ginny is peeing on the toilet and she's half falling asleep, and like, the sound of the alarm system will jostle her awake. <laughs> and then Hermione shows up, and then it gets even worse. Hermione, yeah. have you seen Jenny? I'm picturing Ron and Harry an hour later. All right, we've now lost Hermione. Then, like, Harry's walking around. Ron? <laughs> <laughs> Let's all go downstairs and have tea. Special tea. Yeah, special tea that makes you groggy the next morning. Well, it's even when you read those scenes, like, I know the, the you know what would have been really 
funny. Like, you know that Draco's a bad guy, you know he's actually trying to do something to Hermione in the kitchen, but wouldn't it be great if Harry, like, completely Ginny? misinterpreted... Ginny in the kitchen. What did I say, Hermione? You said Hermione. I had P-O-U on my mind, I'm sorry. I'm just picturing the scene where Harry, like, is completely misinterpreting the scene where they're, like, planning a surprise party on the other side of the door, and he barrels into the door and kicks the door down and starts strangling people in their own... You mean, like, Curse of the Damned? <laughs> Well, yeah, basically that. Yeah. Well, then I kind of picture the logistics. It's like he shoots at the door with magic. It won't open. He fires off an even stronger magical curse. The door won't open. So he charges against the door and it, like, blows off its hinges. I'm like, ooh, he's pissed. I kind of like the way they roughed Draco up. Oh, yeah, it made I me happy. That. I tell you, that whole part of them, the Gr- Draco at Grimald Place was probably my favorite part because he just got his ass handed to him by Molly and then by Harry and Ron and Ginny, and it was awesome. There was a weird Uh, line in there. It's when Ron punches Draco in the gut. The line said that he punched the other Malfoy. (laughs) Are you serious? I'm doing a head count in my head. I'm like, there's only two left. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Lucius isn't there. So, yeah, there's a lot of Potter suits, and then you know that there really are. Like, Draco has eight million missing siblings that nobody tells him about. Harry's fist buried itself in the other Malfoy's stomach. That makes it sound like Harry's hand has a mind of its own. Well, it implies he just punched the first Malfoy in the stomach. Harry's self in the other Malfoy's. I'm sure she was going for, like, other boy, and then she changed it to Malfoy. Yeah. It's like the moment from Morgan Le Fay where inexplicably McGonagall is back in the hospital wing, even though she's at St. Mungo's clinging to, like, she's on a vent. But she's, like, randomly walks and says, hello, how are you? And then she's gone again. And I'm like, oh, she must be feeling better. Then in the next scene, she's close to death. We don't, I'm like, oh. Well, there was even a moment, um, earlier on, I can't remember exactly where it was in one of the earlier chapters, but Harry was really reminding me of Jimmy Carter. <laughs> And I'll tell you why. He there was even a line where he was realizing that he when he was he was paying an inordinate amount of attention to Ginny's breasts. And there was even a line it wasn't the exact line, but it was very close where he like he was referring to himself lusting in his heart or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and for those of you who don't know the connection, um Jimmy Carter when he was Playboy. president of the United States, he gave an interview with Playboy. And he admitted that he had impure thoughts and lusted in his heart. And I'm like, did you really need to tell us? Like, number one, we don't want to know. Number two, we kind of figured it out, but thanks for confirming. Holy heart failure! I just got the funniest email in the entire universe. Is anybody here a Texas fan? A fan of the state. A fan of the (laughs) University of Texas. No. Okay. Does anyone else get, like, a ton of random porn spam in their profile email? I, I do. I actually no. I don't get it, but Jen gets a lot of German porn. <laughs> I get, like, I get, she like... She can't understand that it's porn, so she opens it on the off chance. <laughs> I don't, like, like, I, I don't open anything that's not from Ryan, but, like, I have, like, just looking in my first, like, the first page of emails, one wife is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's one. Of, that's the one I really like. Um, oh <laughs> one wife is not enough. I, I get very it. little in my Pufo email. I, I so get. How are you doing in your Pufo email? I'm fine in my Pufo email. I get random gibberish, like a Galvani maple. <laughs> 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 like that doesn't even make sense. 
The people that send me this stuff have horrible names. Renegar Goldizian. Hutton Dobmeyer. That's a fun one. The guy that sent me um, One Wife is Not Enough is named Fim Southam Hilario. (laughs) Okay, so we have a basement apartment in our house that my mother rents out. So we're trying to fill it. So my mother puts it on Craigslist, and she doesn't use Craigslist very often. And we all remember the bedroom set incident of 2008. So I'm, uh, mm-hmm. I'm leery of Craigslist. So she's, so she's so she's on there, and she's like, "Oh, this is wonderful! Someone's interested in the basement, but he's living in the UK and he's not coming <laughs> to the country yet. So he wants me to get all this information for me and send it to his brother." I'm like, "My, you're being spammed." No, I'm not. You don't trust me to do anything. So I walk over and I cut and paste the entire email into Google. <laughs> I Google it, and it comes up like. 53,000 hits on, like, you know, waryofspam.org and stuff. I'm like, uh, yeah, you were about to just get spammed, so now my mother is afraid of the computer. Because <laughs> there are bad, bad, bad men out there. What you are about to hear is the reaction to the email that Rina sent. I should tell you that at Texas, like, before the games or during halftime and stuff like that, they have a bell on the side of the field, and somebody rings it at the games. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to share that with you guys. (laughs) You know what's dumb? After this whole other Malfoy thing, now I'm like gonna be editing like double hard to make sure I don't do anything like that because y'all are gonna laugh at me. It broke up, you know, the the power of a really good scene because all of a sudden I'm like, oh my god, the Malfoys are like fighting back. I know what you mean. Like it bothers me when I see it written, but like as a writer, I can totally understand why you would do that. Like, I knew instantly that she, what she had originally written and what she had changed it to and stuff, and that's why it scares me that I might do it. And there's a great scene at the end of this between Ron and Ginny that I really like, too. It's when they, they're falling Malfoy out, and, and Ron, Jesus, Harry, what did you do to him, Ron asked. That wasn't me, mate, said Harry. That was Ginny. No kidding, said Ron, grinning. Crotch and nose? Just like you taught me, said Ginny, smiling archly at him. Well, at least I'm good for something, Ron said, shrugging. <laughs> I just really thought that was great. And then Hermione's like, well, you never taught me how to fight. But you can picture the two of them, like, walking out of the room, like Ron and Hermione as Harry and Ginny, you know, take over, like, the, the, the focus of the scene. And, and Hermione's like, you never taught me to fight. Oh, look, Hermione, you're a very brilliant woman, and, and I have nothing but respect for your intellectual pride, like, as they're walking around the corner or whatever. Yeah, I thought that was a great scene, because usually where Ginny is the one who is so independent and can take care of his family. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jen, you got the thing. <laughs> like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I think Ron is doing all the time. <laughs> now, can you imagine... Can you imagine if you were watching that game live? I should watch Paul Morrill. Could you imagine if you're his mother? I know! (laughs) (laughs) Who's called all her friends to say, watch what my son's going to be doing (laughs) today. And grandma's got it on at the nursing home. (laughs) (laughs) What's he doing? (laughs) 
He looked so happy about it, too. I know. <laughs> it was the same. It would be so bad if he wasn't smiling. <laughs> and, like, looking really into it, man. Not to take away for the moment, Sue and her wonderful reaction to that great scene where where Ginny proves that she is not this completely tough character and actually needs help from her big brother, and in the scene where you know, Ron proves that he isn't this complete jerk half the time, that he can joke with his sister about her being prepared. Because as you can tell, everyone in the story, it must be the 90s, because everyone in the story wears very tight jeans. I'm not sure if you picked up mm-hmm. on that little plot point. And Harry is, as Gen 2 would say, very <laughs> distressed when he goes to bed. And Ron is, is is comatose in the next bed. And Harry's like, and I can't even take care of my problem because even though he's asleep, you just don't do that. <laughs> I love, like, it's like this. And I would have really loved it if Ron had, like, the equal scene, like, later on. Like, you just don't do that. Because all I could picture, all right. I'm going to be as gentle as I can here. Five guys have lived together for seven years. I have a hard time believing that's the first time that problem came up. I'll leave it there. So what else have we missed here? We have the whole plot point with the Grangers wanting to pull Hermione out of school. I love Harry's response. Well, Hermione, you turned 17 in like a week and a half. Like a week after the school year begins, which is wrong, by the way. Well, yeah, it's, but it when was... When is her birthday? She's she's older than the boys, right? Yeah, she turns 18. She turns 18 at the beginning of the seventh year. So there was that little plot point. Interesting that it was there just because this is the first time her parents know what she's been doing. And I liked that Dumbledore sat down and told them everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. You never get to see Hermione's her relationship with her parents other than the fact that she just, like, stops going home and starts spending the holidays with the boys. And I've always wanted to see more of that. I've always wanted to see what they thought. If you notice in here, she makes the exact same decision that she makes, ultimately, in Deathly Hallows, where she looks at Dumbledore and says, can't you just give him a memory charm? It's like Benadryling your kid. I wonder if this happens, like, to all muggle-born people, or if it's just, like, Hermione, because she's in such a dangerous situation, where she starts seeing her parents as muggles and not as her parents. We can memory charm these muggles and not, like, I should have an honest relationship with my parents. And she has it to some degree, because she even says, like, later on, they're my parents, I can't disobey them, you know, so directly. There's never a consideration to memory charm another wizard. It's the fact that they're muggles and they have no defense. Hermione is abusing that power that she has over them. I don't know. It's definitely a scene that I think it's just is very important for those characters because we were discussing in Curse of the Damned, the Grangers don't go anywhere. You know, the, the Grangers teach us about Hermione. We don't care about the Grangers. But what does it teach you about Hermione? The fact that, you know, for example, okay, they go home for, for break, for summer break, and they go on vacation and they're attacked and, you know, the, the, the Foreign Ministry of Magic, you know, in France under Dumbledore's request defends them and they return home and they have all this stuff happen. Within a week of being home, Hermione has already moved into the borough. After everything's resolved, you know, she, you think she'd be like, thank you for letting me go back to Hogwarts. Why don't I come home? We'll finish our vacation. No, she's moving. She moves into Ginny's room. It's like, okay, apparently you don't need them anymore. So, yeah. I mean, that, I think that relationship is definitely important, but I think you have to tag Hermione with it. I think she's turned out very well, but she did leave behind a part of herself. I love that Ron went and talked to Mr. Granger. Well, you can tell Ron has been browbeaten to within an inch of his life because he's like, no, I said I'd protect you. It doesn't mean you can't protect yourself. 
My lawyer would like me to read a statement at this time. Hermione, I think you're a lovely girl. I, I think you're extremely powerful. You're able to defend yourself very, very easily. But I just think I should be able to help. Please don't kill me. Love always wrong. <laughs> Can we say whipped? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It happens to the best of us. Tell me what you thought of Blaze and Daphne's, like, coming out as good Slytherins. I think if you believe them, they come across as, like, is the next generation of Slytherins people. Who, they're kind of like our forum members. They have those Slytherin traits, but they're good people, is how they come across. I think. How about, how about it's, like, Horace? Oh, that was trap laid for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> damn you. Well, no, I mean, in all seriousness, it's something that you have to approach. I mean, Lavender Brown's approaching it with Blaze and Daphne, and just like Joe approached it with Horace, that they have to say that they're not all Death Eaters. Yeah, they're not all Death Eaters. They may not be people that you like. I think you're going to see later on they have some traits that we definitely don't like. But you know, in terms of that scene, it's not Lucius Malfoy. There's a moment in an earlier paragraph where Ron even says, you know, they're not bad for Slytherins, but they're still Slytherins. He, he can't trust the Slytherins. He always thinks there's an ulterior motive. And for him to come forward and shake Blaze's hand, that's a big step for Ron, but he does it. Yeah, so I think yeah, that is. Story. I think that does say a lot about his character. So it's a tremendous amount about his character. I have to now probably retract why I, I said I didn't trust Daphne. <laughs> P.S. is hilarious when she reads a fic. She sends me messages, I don't trust Daphne. I don't trust Blaze. <laughs> no, and she just names every character. I don't trust Hopkirk. I don't trust Dumbledore. I don't, I don't trust, trust that Colin Creevy guy. I'm trying to be right. Like, one day, if I don't... See, see, here, here's the plan. Here's the plan. If I... Meet everybody. There, and I'm like, Bill is a Death Eater. Ginny is a Death Eater. And Cat <laughs> is a Death Eater. Then I'm gonna get the Death Eater. Eventually. Why do you have to be right when you're reading? Why don't you just read and not try to make any assumptions? Pansy as a garden gnome? Yeah, I want to have a pansy as a garden gnome moment. Only right this time. All right, P.S., what is your prediction for the characters? What's your prediction for the plot? How do you see this fic going forward? Ginny uses her magic abilities to save the day, and so does Ron, and they defeat Lord. <laughs> so, um, that's okay. I'll say, I think, okay, I have to pick... Who is the non-trustworthy person between Hopkirk and Daphne? Because it can't be both of them, because that's totally overkill. And I am going to say Daphne is an untrustworthy person. But okay, you know, here's what I'm saying: Hopkirk is an unlike an un like a bad person, maybe, but she's not evil. Like she's not on Voldemort's side. I don't really feel comfortable saying that Daphne is on Voldemort's side. I just think she's doing the thing she's doing with Harry for some other thing. Like, for some other motive. Like, she doesn't want to go out with Harry. She's doing it for some other reason. So your general opinion is that everyone will live happily ever after, and they will defeat Voldemort? No, I don't think that at all. (laughs) I... (laughs) I think they won't defeat Voldemort and they'll all die. So, I don't know. Okay. Like, I don't think we have enough information on the Voldemort side of the plot to be able to make such a right. And I'm scanning the chapter titles as I say this. <laughs> I'll tell you, though, that's what I did before I read every book. 
when I got the book, the first thing I did was read all the chapter titles, and even then, that didn't help me figure out what happened. And just so you know, the way the story works is it was originally a trilogy. So you're going to end Final Reckoning, which was supposed to be part two of three. Part three of three takes place three or five years later, and it only went three chapters and was unabandoned. Oh my mm-hmm. god! The, the <laughs> epilogue of Final Reckoning takes place after the third abandoned novel-length fic. So, so like, do you, you get, will, like, enough... Yeah, you will get You will get the end of the story, yes. You will get the end of the story here. So the way it works is, if you had to put everything in order, it would be Morgan Le Fay, Final Reckoning, Dragons, and whatever, whatever the hell the third one was named. And then after that would come the epilogue to Final Reckoning. So you will get everything. Yeah, well, that's, I don't mind that, if that happens. The Voldemort plot hasn't developed enough to be able to say anything about it, and also there's a couple chapters right after this that I have read, because like I said, I've read up to 20, and we went up to 16 or 15 tonight, so there is some stuff that I can't really use in my analysis, because that would spoil it for the listeners. What did everyone think about Harry's blood being found out in, is it the front of the Riddle House? that was really cool. That was so cool. Were you pitching the guy from CSI out there saying, yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm from CSI? Can I <laughs> My notes around say, wow, wizards have CSI. <laughs> well, that was, My I notes. was really cool because they always said that Voldemort took Harry's blood. And it never occurred to me to interpret it as meaning the blood of Voldemort is Harry's blood. But it makes sense because he didn't have a body. I mean, like, his bones are his father's bones because he took them. His flesh is Wormtail's flesh because he took it. His blood is Harry's blood. You know, like, if if Voldemort, you know, committed a crime or something and left, like, DNA, they'd go arrest Pettigrew because it's his body or something. I never thought of that, the fact that Pettigrew is the flesh of Voldemort. Does anyone think he would have been even less scary if he came back looking like a rat? <laughs> was this like stout, fat George Costanza type balding guy? <laughs> that was the bad guy of the series. It made me wonder when they brought all this up if they weren't going to try to do something. It made me feel ominous for Harry and the trial. You know, like Dolores Umbridge was going to be there and try to pin something horrible on Harry because his blood was found in front of the Brittle House. Oh, you, you know, thought they and, were going to go after him or something. Yeah. yeah I never thought the, that. I had this awful feeling of foreboding. Uh, Voldemort could just, like, commit some stupid random crime and Harry would be in jail. Yeah. Voldemort yeah. starts, like, passing bad checks. Well, and then nothing ever happened. Like all the mobsters, like the old American mobsters, you know, they killed all these people and they did all this bad stuff and they got caught and put in jail for tax evasion. Voldemort goes around and and destroys half of wizarding society and he gets busted for jaywalking or something. (laughs) (laughs) I'll sue you. I wish Kez was still here. I want want to know what Kez thinks going forward. Lavender Brown is laying a lot of groundwork now for a great deal of payoff. I mean, I can't really Mm -hmm. say what I think is going to happen. I mean, that'd be like sitting down after, like, Sorcerer's Stone and being like, what do you think is going to happen at the end? Well, it depends the type of story that you think it's going to be. It's it's definitely a story that 
takes chances with the plot. And it's one of the reasons I like it so much, just because it's not the same story, you know, recycled, recycled, recycled. It's definitely... Yeah, I mean, it's 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 still got a long way to go. It, it definitely is not what you think it's going to be. I, mean, I think it's I absolutely fantastic. This is one of the best books I've read in a long time, like, in terms of keeping me engaged and keeping me wondering what's going to happen next. This is the good stuff. Like, this is the cream of the crop. Let me ask you this. Are you watching Star Trek? Do you prefer this to Star Trek fan films? <laughs> I can't, like, compare two oh, different things. Apples and oranges. We're in a mox, but Star Trek fan films are damn good, man. They are. Come they on. Are. I didn't say, I never said I don't like it. Well, you never mentioned it ever. Well, I mean, it just, you know, it is what it is. I mean, didn't get crazy, crazy into it, but no, I sat there and I watched it. You are an insulting pompous fool. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of uh, Boobcast with your local Polyphic Weekly crew. We will be back next week as we proceed to a even further chapter. I don't know what it is. Oh, 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 I know. It's chapters 17 to 30. And with that, have a good night, everybody. Good night. So Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. And so hold on to the wonder that for Sunday, February 15, 2009, this is Episode 70, Part 2, Hoofwa Strikes Back. Welcome to the place where the story just refuses to ever end. Oh, will there ever be again? A podcast quite like this One brought us together and Started its own forum list Where the hosts are all our friends All the stories told by Jen Will it drive Ryan round the bend Perfect weekly, where the story never ends. Mm-hmm. My fellow Puffuanians, good evening. This is Ryan. I'm P.S. Mike. I'm Sue. My fellow Puffuanians, usually when the podcast starts, we have a we have a little cycle that we go through here. I call everyone. They scream because they didn't think the phone was going to ring. They knock over the coffee table. They need a minute. That's usually when Jen lights her kitchen on fire. We, we get everyone situated. We sit down. We talk about politics, and, and Sue has to go feed the chickens, and, and Mike is locked in the dryer. And then usually around 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, we start the podcast. 
tonight I called everyone. P.S. is in the middle of a sentence talking about Jesus. Sue is sitting over here with her notes collated, and we just started the discussion. So I literally went like, eh, stop, and we hit record, and now we're literally in the middle of a conversation here. So we're going to jump right into our discussion tonight. We're covering, uh, what are we covering tonight? <laughs> Final record. 17 to 30. I forgot the name of the fic. I'm like, we're covering mm-hmm. Melinda Leo. Oh, I do that on the Well, I just say Melinda Leo because we've covered so much of her stuff. There's a, like a 15 50 I only remember the author. I'll be like, this fic is called Lavender Brown. Okay, yeah, exactly. So we are covering uh, Final Reckoning by Lavender Brown, chapter 17 through 30 uh, this evening. And I think we have a lot of interesting discussion planned for you, or not planned for you. We just anticipate it happening despite our best hopes to stop it because Mike is here tonight and Hopkirk was present in these chapters. So Mike, before we get into the plot and and, and the, the moments of these chapters, I believe you would like to say a few words about to your professor Hopkirk of the Defense Against the Dark Arts Department. Sure. I'll say that she annoyed me and even annoyed me further is the acceptance of all the characters by chapter 30 that what she was doing is right. Who Specifically was accepting it. <laughs> Hermione, at the end of chapter 30, her line is, I want to apologize. You were right. And like, and then Harry and Ron earlier on argue with Hermione that, no, she's on the right track. And my problem with her, basically, is she's taking to too far an extreme this idea that the means justify the end. First off, and I, I gave this metaphor the earlier. justify the means. Excuse me, yes, that's what I meant to say. Her training is the equivalent of saying, like, we're at war. We have this new bulletproof vest we're going to test out here, so let's line our soldiers up and shoot them. And then I would also add that when she's shooting this killing curse at the shield that we know blocks it, who else in the class has a shield up? She says it ricochets randomly all over the place. It was the Great Hall. Is that correct? They were in the Great Hall? Yes, it was in the Great Hall. Okay. So who else has a shield up when this thing is ricocheting God knows where? Not to mention, some of these kids are minors. Don't you think the parents, not just the Professor Dumbledore who's dying, deserves a saying whether it's the equivalent of shooting bullets at kids because your country's at war? All right, couple, well, a couple issues just to go down the line here. Number First one, of all, she knew it would work. It's not like they're testing this like prototype of a bulletproof vest. Well, number number one, even beyond that, before we even get to Mike's points, there's one thing I want to complain about here. Professor Dumbledore retires. He, he, he's going into early retirement. He, he has his little walker with, with the tennis balls underneath it. He's wearing his cabana wear. He is retiring. He is done. He is at it. McGonagall, good luck. But then he stays in his office until he dies. Everyone, when they want to excuse someone from something or other, says, can we ask Professor Dumbledore? Like, he's like the guy that just won't leave. Can you be imagine being Minerva McGonagall trying to run this school now, and, and Dumbledore is holed up in his office with, like, the door wedged shut with a desk? Like, I always thought it was because he had nowhere else to go. I mean, they're, like, humoring this, like, old man who doesn't, you know, own a house. No, I understand that, but the, the, the plot was that when they were asking, you know, when Harry wanted Ron to try and get around friends and play quick. Well, can you ask Dumbledore? Why does Dumbledore have any say over this? There were there were many instances throughout these chapters where they're referring to Dumbledore as though he's the headmaster of the school, or he's giving Hermione a pass to the library, and I think he's still filling out the TPS reports. I'm like, you don't work here anymore. Why are you here? It reminds me of when Bush took office and the Reagan people just wouldn't leave. They're like, just <laughs> staying around. Like, you don't work here. Leave. That was... I didn't think it was necessary for the plot to have Dumbledore actually retire, because if you're, it, it's like on Star Star Trek, when they blow a ship up, but they have a new one the next week that looks exactly like it, what was the point? Just have him work there, and he'll die in office, and then McGonagall can come. That just really frustrated me. All right. I think it was realistic, though. Like, I see why it's frustrating, but on the other hand, 
I could see like, you know, okay, he's realistic about it. I have to retire. I can't handle the workload. But the reality is that, you know, he's Alvis Dumbledore. He's such a figurehead that as long as he is in the school, it's kind of inevitable. People have been turning to him for how, you know, how many years has he been there? Like, you know, people are going to naturally turn to him as long as he's still physically present. But he's still in his office and he's still giving think, out permission to use I also the library. Think that, um, headmaster of Hogwarts, it seems to me like it's until death, like it's a lifetime position. Like maybe this is just fanfic or PS. You no, know, they fired him four times during the canon and he left. Yeah. Well, well, then even like Minerva's like his, you know, like she would be seeing canon. She like worships the ground Dumbledore works on. She's not going to kick him out of his office. Well, no, I understand that. I, and I don't want to make too big of a deal. The, just I'm speaking from a, from a plot perspective. I didn't think it was necessary to have him resign because so. there, there, there was no movement there. It wasn't like, you know, you went to McGonagall and she's running the school, but Dumbledore staying on as an advisor or, you know, maybe he's in his quarters and they go to him there and he gives sage advice. I mean, it still could have worked. It was just a little stupid, I think, because it's like, you know, Dumb- Professor Dumbledore wants to see you in his office and he wants you to, you know, Professor Friends to, to work with you, Ron, twice a week. And it's like, uh, do you really work here anymore? Can I see you? <laughs> that, that was just one thing that got to me. But let me just say this, because of Mike's comments about uh, dear Professor Hopkirk, who I love very much. Uh, one of the things about the Harry Potter novels is they are so far removed from reality, from the lives we live, that they can't be compared like, they're, they're apples and oranges. In this series, you have the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court is also the head of the rogue agency, or he is the head of the rogue Order of the Phoenix, who is you know combating evil in the darkness of the night. At the same time, he's the headmaster of the only school. I mean, everyone has seven. Wouldn't that jobs. be crazy if you like wrote a sto- like a real story where like um like what what's in it? what's his face like John Waters or whatever his name is Roberts John Roberts was like also the like president of Harvard and also the like right. head of this. <laughs> Military. Which I think thing. he works in the janitorial wing too. I mean, like everyone in the series does six jobs. I mean, Molly Weasley is is the cook, and she works for the Order. And Arthur. And, and do you ever notice how all the Order security people are also the cops? They're also the or like. Do you have dual shifts? Like, so th- you can't compare. Th- you know, this series to real life, because what you also have in the series is you have anyone who is 16 years of age is, or 17 years of age is considered an adult. They go like, okay, Harry, when he's 11 faces off to Voldemort with Voldemort, Harry, when he's 12 kills a giant snake. Uh, when he's 14, he's like nearly crucified in a graveyard. When he's 15, he and his friends battle, you know, the enemy army. I mean, these kids don't live the protected lives that our kids live. Could you imagine what would happen in the world today if a bunch of 16-year-old kids were in school and the school were attacked by, like, Turkish rebels? They would call, you know, The school would be surrounded by military, and the military's first action would be get the kids out. In this series, the kids are the ones with the actual weapons. <laughs> so... Yeah. They they do need to be prepared to fight. They they are essentially armed. They're armed from the time they're eleven. They have these wands. So what I like about yeah, Hopper, I was gonna say I think yeah, yeah, that's just like a responsibility of the world. Like because I mean, it would be like if you got a loaded Uzi when you were eleven. I'm sure that see, everybody would be taught how to use it. I disagree with you in the sense. Well, first, I agree with some of what you said about 
I mean, Harry's obviously an exception. Harry's crazy. I don't think he can't be, you know, normal kids can't be judged by Harry's standard. Right. Um, and by the way, I, I love, one of my favorite parts in the whole series was when Hermione's parents come in. They're like, what the hell is going on? You people are insane. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's like my favorite part of the whole series uh, so far. But, but the difference is it's one thing to, ch- I have no problem training them in, you know, like I, I think they should have, like my problem was in the textbook. I, they should know the background of dark arts. They should know all this stuff. My problem is with minor children having killing curses shot at them. If we have, if our kids, if our teenagers are armed in the military, they don't practice by shooting at each other with live ammunition. They but practice th- by shooting at targets, by learning theory and tactics. Right, but this is this is a school. This is a school, and this is a, 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 a society where they have magic. So you are able to point a stick at someone else and say, you know, Crucio, and that person will be lit on fire. You can say about a cadaver, and that person will be dead. You can say stupefy, and that person will fall down. You can say Expelliarmus, and one of many different things can happen. They could get blown across the room. They could be disarmed. They could. They, they all of the hair on their bodies could turn purple. You just don't know with Expelliarmus. But you were in a society where, from a young age, you were given you know a powerful weapon. And this is a society where, like in Star Trek, where the person's shot and they rub the you know the toaster over them, and and you know the, the wound is gone. You know if if all the bones in your arms disappear, Madame Pomfrey has to give you the green drink, and if you know, you spleen explodes. She has to give you the blue one alternated with the red one. I mean, th- there's the... Ab- sure, but there's, you know, if you're, there's if you're, the difference between you know, a stupefy or bone-breaking curse and a death curse. No, if you accidentally chop your penis off in the series, there's there's a, there's a group of people who are paid to stick it back on, and you, <laughs> you it doesn't work for the first six weeks, and then you're fine. I mean... Don't so, cure death, though. Not, not cure death. Let me say this about the death scene. Now, what you have in canon, and you have this in... I'm thinking of the fics we've covered so far. This happened in canon. This happened in Melinda's fic. Um, what are you talking about? Maybe we can help you. I'm, I'm trying to do it in advance to show you how wonderful a person I am. Because I, I'm being told lately I need to recanon more. So I think it's only those two. You have um, scenarios where, quote unquote, the civilized world ends. And the ministry is overthrown. And you know the heroes, they, they can't go back. They can only go forward. So they either have to have a massive battle at Hogwarts, or they have to hide out of the Grimmauld place, or they have to barricade the castle because the Death Eaters are surrounding. And there's a sense within the storyline that you know this world we've lived in, the society we've lived in, you know, has, has been ended. And we either need to, 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 to rebuild a new one or we need to give up right here. What this story does, and I think it does it very well, is it says we are losing the society that we have. And there aren't very many of us, so it's not like we can call in, you know, an infantry to go deal with this. I mean, this is going to be settled by shopkeepers and students and parents, and like it is in the canon. It's a very small society, so we're going to have to deal with this. And what it does is it basically pushes society to the breaking point where we could lose everything tomorrow. It's like it was in World War II. You didn't know if you were going to be captured, if the country was going to exist in five years. So you have a Ministry of Magic who... One-third of the kids have left Hogwarts. Hogwarts has been attacked. A third of the students are gone. People are, are, are afraid. There's attacks everywhere. Muggles are being attacked. Wizards are being attacked. How many people in the school have lost parents? Have lost, you know, ki- Kids in the school have been, are attacked at 
you know, sporting events. So you have a, a society now where, okay, we used to have very strict standards. You cannot teach kids X, Y, and Z. Now teach them. They need to be prepared. So it's now legal to teach this stuff in the society. Now you can argue is that a good thing or a bad thing, but it's legal. And I can see a place where it would get legal. Now, on your other point about, about the – well, it's, it's been allowed. Now, Do the, the other, parents know? I don't think uh, – the impression I had is the parents don't know. There's minors in here whose parents – I have no earthly idea. The ministry, author, the ministry authorized it. I'm sure the kids are writing home, hey, mommy, I learned how to do the Crucio today. I mean – and there, there are restrictions. They're not, they're not learning to, to use the Crucio cursor or Vala Kedavra. They're being – they're using charms which can be very dangerous. They're, they're learning the charm that you can strangle someone with and the one that you can cut people with or whatever. And there's meta wizards standing by. They're essentially like Dean says at one point, they're being put through boot camp and it's right. dangerous, but life is dangerous. So the parents are likely informed of that. And if they want to pull their kids out, go ahead. Everyone else is pulling their kids out anyway. On the other point about the Avada Kedavra curse and how it can ricochet across the room. All I can picture is who, um, everyone's seen independence day with Will Smith. No, anyone, mm-hmm. No one has seen Independence Day with... There's a scene in Independence Day where um, the aliens are attacking Earth and the the president and his staff and the guy from Taxi and the dog and and, and everybody, they're they're underground at uh, Area 51 and they've captured one of the alien ships. And the problem is the aliens have these shields and we can't penetrate them. So because the aliens have crappy computers, the guy from Jurassic Park is able to give it a computer virus because they don't have Northern's antivirus software. And it will lower all the shields, and we can and we can blow up ships with with bullets. We can blow up ships with bullets. And what he does is he gets everyone in the room. Now you got the president, you got the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, you got the Secretary of Defense, you get some army dudes, you get the the kid and the dog and and the stripper, and everyone's in there. And the the guy from Jurassic Park asks the guy with the gun to shoot the Coke can off of the alien ship. So he looks at the president and Bill Pullman says, "I think you should do it." So he shoots it, and it. The bullet hits the ship and it bounces off and it, a light bulb breaks and everyone ducks and whatever. <laughs> the shields were up. Now, my question is, what would you have done if the bullet hit? Because that always pissed me off. I can understand the whole thing. With I guess. It, but no, what, like, the, the, reason, the reason I will explain that, though, just real fast, the reason I will explain that is she shot it in such a way that she knew it would hit the back wall. You can't. She says, she says it ricochets randomly. You can't know what's going to hit. Well, the- no, you can plan like a game of pool. You can guess. Yeah, I'm I not going to get caught over that. She obviously, based on the way she was shooting, she had all the students in a position so that when she would shoot Neville across from her, it would ricochet back towards her. She would get out of the way. And then so she wall. thought and hoped. My point is this. Okay. Well, first off, I question is how is this training any more or less dangerous than real combat? I don't see that. With death curses, you're not going to get much more dangerous than combat. One death curse. One death curse. And the students didn't use it. Neville was the only one. But the implication is she's going to be doing this to more than she wants them all to learn. No, she said no. She said we're not doing this. That is not the implication. That's my implication. No, she it said in the plot, we are not practicing this. I just wanted to show you this. So she claims now. I don't know. No, but you don't don't get to make up your own story. (laughs) Because then show Harry? No, she she shows it the once and that's it. It, it still seems it's too reckless to me. These are minors in here. Like, forget it's Harry Potter. Like, if I had, we're at war and we have a, a magical force field that stops all bullets. And so I, so I, I throw it on this kid and I go, let me show you what I mean. And I fire the bullet and it ricochets around a room with like 15 year olds. I, I have a problem with that. More. Well, it's not, a, it's not, number one, it's not a bullet. Number two, if anyone's hit, they can be cured by the guy in his pajamas in the corner with a big H on his chest. That's my point. They can't be cured if it hits them. No, if it's a death 
if it's ricocheting, does it still kill you? I mean, it's yes. not to it's it's not like it's one death curse that she demonstrated, and she demonstrated it in a way that it didn't hit anybody, nor would it. And that's the only time she uses it. And she even says, she even says, "I'm not going to teach you this. We're not going to learn any of the uh, any of the unforgivable curses. We're, we're not going to go there. I'm demonstrating them on you. We're going to use curses that will be, you know, dangerous, and you're going to protect yourselves. But the world is dangerous, and you need to know how to do this. And she's right. I mean, it's not like a situation where you have these kids going off, and there's always going to be cops to protect them and militaries to protect them." These kids are the front lines, and they do need to know how to use this. And they need to know it in a very short period of time because they've gotten crappy education for five out of the last six years. So they have they have to learn this. It's just not an acceptable – I see what you're saying. You're right, Ryan. Right. But it's not an acceptable excuse to me, morally speaking. Just like you know, like, like you have these countries in the world where they're impressing 15-year-olds into the army. I, I just can't accept that that's a good solution. All right. Well, I think we got we went as far as the two of us can go on that. Sue and P.S., would you like to – Well, I'll say this is – they're not impressing them into the army. They're teaching them – because honestly, this is different. You can't use a real example to – talk about this because it's just so different. Like, their whole world is upside down in because of the war, and it's going to affect them, and it or it might affect them, and they need to be prepared. I mean, you can't... This isn't, this isn't drafting kids into the army. This is teaching people how to defend themselves. If it would be worse to just send them into a war zone without any kind of weapon... And you, Which and is the what they'd be doing if they didn't teach them. It's not comparable because it's like in sci-fi shows where they can shoot you with the phaser and all oh, it was only set to, su- to stun. With bullets, if you're shot with a bullet, there's a very strong chance you're going to be killed. With curses, you're going to be knocked out or you can be healed because there's incredible healing powers. So you do have that ability far more in the ordinary world to go through, quote-unquote, you know, combat training that's less dangerous than it would be here. So it's more applicable. Sue, what do you got? Clarify, my problem isn't with the curses. It's I, I, yeah, I know it's only one instance. I get what you're saying. I'll even accept I, I misread whatever. It's only not going to happen again, but it still doesn't excuse. That, that is the, that kill. That's the equivalent of firing a bullet when you do an evacuate. And, uh, I, I didn't like choking curse either because there are people passing out from choking is never help. But whatever. But it's mostly the Avada that that I had trouble forgiving her for. Okay. And she and Hermione, you said that in the part of the problem is that Hermione um, is accepting of that towards the end of the chapter. But when this happens, she is not accepting of it, and no, and I was feels like, so very much like you do. Um, I think it was done just pretty much as a shock factor and to show that. That there was a way to repel the this curse and that it could be done. Um, just saying it, I don't think wouldn't have impressed it on the kids nearly as much. Uh, also, I have just gone back and looked up uh, what you were talking about at the very beginning of this, and the families are aware of this going on because Dumbledore says, "Please understand, Miss Granger." Dumbledore said, "Dumbledore gently." I have had to placate a lot of worried parents. This was a compromise I made with the board of directors. They were that's ready to books, allow though. all of you to actually learn how to use dark magic. So that's when he's talking about hiring pop And Sue's lowballing it as well, because the implication, if you read around where Sue is quoting, was that the board of governors wanted to fully allow yeah, dark, magic to be taught, dark magic. And, and Dumbledore used his influence to, 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 to restrain it. This is the restrained version as a result of Dumbledore. There's a huge push as a result of what happened the year before to really go all out. This is, this is the watered-down version. 
Right. I still think, though, it's telling that who are all the professors we see use curses like these at students? They're Death Eaters or they're like Umbridge. We don't see the good teachers ever do things like this. I think well, that's what makes her such a good... No, because you, you've never had a character like Hopkirk before. The characters you have in the story who are teachers. You have McGonagall, you've got Snape, who's got his own little story arc going, you got Flitwick, you got uh, Sprout, you got Pomfrey. They're all like one type of people. They're the, they're the matronly or, I don't know what you really call Flitwick, short, <laughs> I guess. You've got you've got these really bubbly little people who want they want they want to teach you things. And that's great, but sometimes you need the person who will be completely dark with you. And that what I really like about Hopkirk's character is she comes across so hateful to begin with. Mm-hmm. And she's really and the thing is she she likes Hermione. She wants to give she makes Hermione tries to get Hermione to do something that would absolutely humiliate Hermione to kiss her boot because she wants Hermione to fight it. She wants Hermione to be strong enough that when she inevitably does face death either, Hermione will live. And I don't know how you teach that, and I don't want to harp on this all night, but Hermione needs that. And Hermione is able to learn it, and she's able to do it, and Humpkirk is proud to give her the points. And she deserves the points because they all need to be hardened by someone who's tough but also has their best interests at heart. And it's something that you don't see from the other characters. Maybe McGonagall, but she's teaching you how to have a sex change operation. I mean, this is something that you can actually use on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like we talked that one to death. Can I ask you guys a question? So, Do you think of the, the Hermione-Harry dynamic in this? Because I'm thinking, and I'm reading this, and I'm thinking there's, a, there's an awesome Harry-Ginny dynamic. I like that there's more Harry chapters in this story. And there's a great Ron-Hermione, and there's a great Harry-Hermione. I used to be Harry-Ron, but there doesn't seem to be much of a Harry-Hermione thing going on there. There's not in canon. After reading Melinda's fic, I think that it was more impressed upon us, more receptive to it. Because Melinda, I think, was more receptive to it than actually we've seen. I want to know what Draco thinks of Mike. What? What Mike to Draco? <laughs> <laughs> what, what did I say? You want to know what, Dra- what Draco thinks of Mike. Now, I have I have a guess. I have just a guess what Draco thinks of Mike. And I'm sure half of our forum members probably have thought it at one point or another. What's that? No, nothing, dude. Absolutely nothing. But um, <laughs> what does Mike think of Draco? Well, we've seen what he thinks of Hopkirk, and it wasn't very impressive. But let's see. What, Mike, what do you think of Draco? Well, he is my favorite character, and so I'm glad he's in this story. But to be honest, what I was mostly wishing is in too many stories, whenever Draco's in it, he's a weak character. Like, like it annoys. I think I don't. It might have been last week's section, but whenever they're doing the trial bit, they keep going on about how Draco is so weak, he's going to crack under pressure. I would like to see a Draco who 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 leaves the dark side not because he's so weak that he's been bullied by his father all along, but because he's strong enough to forge his own path. Well, this Draco's kind of. You know what? There are a million six like that, and I love this. I love that Draco is. But how is that not what he's doing? How is he not? He's, he's doing it. The impression you get here is that he's a weak individual. That he's like all semi raping Jenny. I mean, he's he's not a nice guy. All he needed to do <laughs> a nice guy. All he needed. Well, he's not a nice guy. But all he needed to do to 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 make it was to cut Hermione Granger's arm and, and uh, flick the poison into her. But he needed to kill Hermione, and he would have been fine. He, he wouldn't do it. I mean, and he he basically I, I'll use the expression brought this on himself 
which implies it's a bad thing, but it's not. He's the one who walked away from Lucius, and he's the one that made that choice, and now he's dealing with the consequences of what was a, a difficult choice to make, an uncomfortable choice to make. So I think it would be difficult if in the story you believe he's been, you know, verbally abused and possibly physically abused and, and terrorized by Lucius all these years. This is a Lucius who just killed Narcissa, and you're on the stand, and you know he has people, and you could disappear like that, and you have nothing left. I mean, he's not, it's not like they took him from Lucius's home and, and threw him on the stand. He's there by choice. I don't like the person in this fic for long stretches. I do like the character because I'm with P.S. I think the character is very layered. There's certain things, I, I like that, I like that he won the Quidditch match. I like that. I mean, there are moments where I kind of smile and like him, but I, I guess maybe it's just the sort of Draco I'm, I think of. He seemed a little too, I don't know, vile. Well, let's look at canon for a second, because this is a canon-esque story, so let's judge it by how well it adheres to that. Let's look at the similarities. He was someone in canon who's charged with murdering someone. He wouldn't do it. As a result of not doing it, his life spiraled out of control. He was put in a position where he had to give certain people up. He wouldn't do it, and he is able to trudge along and presumably, you know, work for the side of the light in so much as you're not trying to kill those people, and, you know, just kind of loses all of his hair and, and, and just becomes rather annoying. I mean, he's not a good... Here's the thing. Draco is not a good person. He's not self-sacrificing. He's someone who got caught up in something. You see, I don't um, think you have to be self-sacrificing to be a good person. He's not a Harry, but I, 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 mean, I think he's, he's a good person. Not self-sacrificing. He's, he's not a good person. A not good person. He has no integrity. An ungood person would have killed Dumbledore. An ungood person wouldn't have lied about recognizing Harry. I think what he is is he's a, morally speaking, he's an ordinary person. He's not a coward, but how many, I don't think it's a coward to feel scared in those sorts of situations. I think that the problem is you're comparing him to Harry, and Harry's unusually brave, and his, Harry's moral compass is unusually strong. But don't compare absence of, I, I hate to go George Bush on you, but don't, <laughs> don't, I'm like, I'm calling Bush on your ass. Don't compare absence of evil actions with Mother Teresa. For example, Draco doesn't murder Albus Dumbledore. That does not make him a good person. I haven't murdered anyone today. That doesn't mean, you know, a, a successful day in Ryan Land. You're not supposed difference, to. The difference, though, his family's being, he, there's pressure on him. Like, you know, he's, he, they're, they're threatening to kill his family if he doesn't succeed in this mission, but yet he's still, at the last moment, despite these threat to people he loves, doesn't do what's wrong. And to me, that takes a, a, a certain moral integrity. And yes, Harry would never have considered it for a second, because Harry is, you know, he's the hero of the story. But I think that the average person in Draco's situation probably would have reacted a lot like Draco. Draco didn't kill Dumbledore, and Draco didn't become a Death Eater. But what he did do, he tried to stop Harry when he went to get the Horcrux in the Room of Requirement. I mean, he was still doing stuff. Like, he still thought he could be in the thing. It's not like he became reformed because he couldn't kill a weak old man. He was still... He just. Well, what about though when they have Harry captive and he lies to cover up the fact that it's to try to help Harry so Harry can get out of there? He doesn't try and help Harry. Let me just say one thing on that, and I don't mean to, I don't want this to turn to Slytherin cast again because we just did four weeks on it a few weeks ago. Yeah, why are we talking about the Slytherins? I don't know, but let me just make one. No, well, it's important. Draco is a big. I think part they're very the interesting in the story, and I wanted to see Mike's reaction, especially since we just did, like you said, we just did four weeks of Slytherin. Slytherins. 
Yeah, but Draco's a big part here. I mean, okay, let's for a second take uh, the character of Pansy from um, Death Rolls They Shook Hands. There's a scene where they're recreating uh, the chess match from the first book, except this time with the Slytherin characters. And you have 11-year-old Pansy Parkinson. She's on the chessboard. I'm sorry. Yeah, she's on the chessboard. And she, uh, I think, uh, Timothy Knott, at that, you know, in that story, is is playing the wrong role and directing the people around. And he knows he has to sacrifice Pansy. And he does it. And Pansy knows what she's about to do, and she says, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I can't do it. I'm not sorry. I, I don't want to do it. And eventually, Tim says he'll stay with her and take care of her, and she agrees to do it. Now, agreeing to do it makes you a hero, regardless of anything. I mean, that's like running into a gas leak to save grandma. You know, that's that's a heroic act. Saying that you're not going to do something heroic does not necessarily make you cowardly or say anything about you. It, it's so difficult to do something like that. It's very difficult in, a, in an awful situation to be heroic. And that's, it doesn't mean there's anything necessarily wrong with you. So, it, so if, for example, in Deathly Hallows, you had um, book one, Neville Longbottom, or you had Colin Creevy, or you had um, one of the no-name characters, Ernie McMillan, someone like that, someone who's a good person, but isn't this, you know, Ron Weasley, I will fight you to the death if you touch my sister kind of guy. Like someone who, you know, maybe doesn't have that chutzpah. If, if you have a character like that, and the, you know, gun is put to their head. Like, okay, Colin Creevy. If you put a gun to Colin Creevy's head and say, tell me where Harry Potter's hiding, he really wants to not tell you where Harry's Potter... He really doesn't want to give Harry Potter up. And maybe he'll I don't the believe that Harry. Colin would give him up. I believe That's the thing. But if Colin started crying, or Dennis, or one of the, or Ernie McMillan, and, and gave him up, or maybe you put you know a gun to Colin's friend's head or whatever and say, give up Harry. I mean, if a character desperately doesn't want to do it, but maybe does because he's scared or because he's trying to save someone else, that's... That's understandable. This wasn't a situation in Deathly Hallows where Draco had the gun to his head. He was trying to decide, do I feel like saving Harry's life? I think Draco didn't want Harry's Harry, Ron, and Hermione's blood on his soul. I that think was it. And that I think Draco's different. heroic, but I think he's a good person. I think he's, he's honestly, I think he's a good person, but he's not heroic. All right, we'll leave it there. And people have that, that's the question that will. Well, like I'm a good person, but I'm not heroic. I mean, like I mean, I haven't saved the world today. But there's always tomorrow, P.S. There's <laughs> always tomorrow. Yeah. Now, now I will say this too: the one moment for those of you who are Monty. No, I'm sorry, it's not even Monty Python. It's Austin Powers. I, I've seen each of the movies once. I get very confused. I love Mini Me. I just want to take him home with me. Old tripod. There's a moment in one of the Austin Powers movies where someone is very badly burned. And I love that line. The, the scene where they, they the, the Slytherins kick the ever-living snot out of Draco and Harry charges forward to save him. And Draco's like laying on the ground and he's spitting up blood and teeth and he's missing like a finger. And he's like, I'm very badly hurt. Is like the only thing I could think of in that scene where he's like, no, I'm really fu- Oh God. Um, has anyone seen my leg? It's like one of those things. Like I just <laughs> That's thought, kind I of know. heroic now that you mention it. Oh, good God. <laughs> We have to space the mic, but I mean, (laughs) we do. We can't have mic on after the Slytherin podcast because you're seeing Slytherins everywhere. But I do. I one of the things I really did like about um, you obviously have Daphne Greengrass, great canon name there. Which I like Daphne. I think Daphne's awesome. She's a great character, isn't she? I love the way her character's handled. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna not talk there because I've been talking the whole damn podcast. Someone tell me why they love Daphne or hate her. 
Well, I think mostly I can't say because, um, I, as I recall at this point, I thought that Daphne was a Death Eater, and I only love Daphne because of stuff that comes next week. So I thought she was a Death Eater too. P.S. Actually, <laughs> I'm with okay. you there. I'm with you there. P.S. Yeah, Daphne is probably a Death Eater. Have you? Well, no, I, I know she isn't now, but I was. I, I had that thought flitter through my mind. I was trying to mouth. have some illusion. I finished the story. I know whether or not Daphne is a Death Eater. Well, on that very important note of whether Daphne Greengrass is a Death Eater, and for the record, I don't think you're allowed to become a Death Eater if your last name is Greengrass. It's, Greengrass? it's like Joe Shortsleeve from the WBZ uh, network in Boston. Like, who the hell is a gangster named Shortsleeve? It doesn't happen. But for that, we are going to add into the podcast Aaron from Spellcast to see if he has any thoughts on the Daphne Greengrass situation. Uh, Aaron, welcome to Pyrific Weekly. Uh, Daphne Greengrass, friend or foe? Uh, which fic are we reading now? <laughs> <laughs> because it depends. Well, it, some she is a friend, some she is a foe. It's, uh, it's all right. Now, now Lavender Brown really lost it here because in a fic where Blaze is a somewhat important character, she has a sex change scene, and Blaze is in no way involved. Now I know Blaze wasn't in the <laughs> class, but the fact that you couldn't work that into the story somewhere just shows that you're not trying. I mean, come. The freak on. Considering how many times Blaze is a girl in fan fiction and is, you know, obviously male and, you know, canon. That was an unfortunate oversight on Lavender Brown's part. Uh, but on Daphne Greengrass, the, the thing about her is, uh, obviously, uh, to reset up the scene, Harry's having a very good time with her. As with every other woman at Hogwarts, he is fondling her breasts. <laughs> and uh, it happens all the time. And very good for a state for, for Harry. That's another thing I don't get. Harry's like Mr. Girls. Well, well yeah. said, P.S. What I like about th- this story is because the characters are sexual, and because the characters swear, and because the characters, like, poop, and because the characters throw up, and they do all these things that 16-year-olds do, you, you get the sense from the story that you're seeing everything, whereas mm-hmm. in the canon or in canon-esque fanfics, you have the feeling that, you know, the stuff is going on in the other room that you're missing out on. I like this story because they actually seem like real kids because real kids are more like this than they are the canon characters. So I kind of like that. The thing I like with Daphne is she goes to the scene where she says that Harry is heroic and he's heroic because he doesn't run away and he's nothing like Draco Malfoy. And that's that's a great perspective from someone that you don't know. It's one thing for Ginny to say it because she's grown up with them or, or whoever. But for Daphne, someone who's supposed to hate them by house, for her to say that, that really grays the characters a little bit and shows you a Slytherin who is a good person, which I think is a helpful thing You know, if, you're, if you want to tell a dynamic story. The thing I like, though, is when Draco has the snot beat out of him by the Slytherins, Harry charges forward to save him because he's Harry Potter. And... And Daphne wants to run the other way. And you don't have the situation where it's like Harry, you know, gives up the girl for Draco Malfoy or something. It has nothing to do with Draco. It, it's it's centered very tightly on Daphne. It's the fact that Daphne is the type of person who says, that's not my problem. I didn't see that. You know, she sees, you know, the kid being beaten or she sees, you know, she sees a crime happening and she looks the other way. It's not my responsibility. And Harry just can't live with that. And has, I'm not it, sure that's, that's tr- exactly true, though, because... She's looking the other way on this case because of the Death Eaters, that the, the kids that are after Draco, their parents are Death Eaters. I think that yeah. had it been anybody but Draco, she would have been right beside Harry. Well, you're actually right there because obviously she knows that if she 
tries to save Draco. She's going to make an enemy of all the Slytherins who are against Draco and his family. That's very true. And that actually makes it better. She doesn't become a cartoon character. She doesn't become like Slytherins and they're really good people. But when, you know, the Muggleborns walk by, they start throwing crap at them and they come back and then they're gentle souls again. But when the Muggleborns walk by, they throw crap at them. It, it, it's a situation where you have a character. She's, she's a very good person. You like her. And she, she she probably would make decisions that we would make. If we know someone, you know, who may be a nice person but has, you know, the father who has her stalked or whatever, you, you would say, okay, you know what, this friendship is too high maintenance. I can't talk to this person anymore. That's very natural. I mean, Daphne could be any of us. But for Harry, he just can't do it because he's just incompatible with someone not as selfless as himself. And I think that's – I like the fact that it's over Draco. It's kind of like in – um. Melinda's fic in Seventh Horcrux, Ron kills Draco, and he can't live with it. And it has nothing to do with the fact it was Draco Malfoy. It has to do with the fact that he just can't stand being a killer and what that means about him. And if he had killed, you know, Neville by accident, it would have been about how he felt awful about Neville. So when you make it a character that you don't like and you still feel that way, it shows that it's you and that it's all about you and it has nothing to do with that other person. So I, I thought that was really good. And there's a line there I really, really liked. It was later on where Harry even... Um, Daphne asks Harry out again, and he turns her down. He's too busy. And they even came to an understanding later that they like each other enough to be friends, but they could never become anything. And that's really, that's a huge step for Harry to turn her down because he believes in something. It says a lot about him. So I just, I really, really, really like the character of Daphne here. Well, better to turn her down than uh, to get her naked and run screaming away. <laughs> Speaking of heroics, I have to say, now, if, okay, you're Pervati Paddle, and you're naked in front of Harry Potter, and he looks up at you, naked Parvati Paddle, and he screams bloody murder, like, like Macaulay Culkin with the aftershave, and he charges from the building and, like, runs down Main Street. And like charges back up the hill, <laughs> and it's like da 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 da, and he charges up. It's it's like the scene where you know you're running through the house and you run in the door on the left, but you come out the door on the right. If you were Parvati, would you be like, oh my god, I'm like totally fat? <laughs> like you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> and great for the self esteem. Exactly that that really has to kill yourself. <laughs> like there's things like even Ron's like, um, yeah, that's pretty. Like I can, I can, I can come up with a good reason why you did it, but dude, I left her naked in like the abandoned. Why is there an abandoned warehouse in Hogsmeade? When you look at Hogsmeade, it's like the Christmas Village. Yeah. <laughs> because of the recession, it's like the closed down, you know, dung bomb factory or whatever. I don't know. And where are the teachers? They're having sex in the streets. Like, this is not a good supervisor. Well, they're having sex everywhere. Yeah, everyone has yeah. sex. It's not the teachers that are in charge, it's the prefix, and they're looking the other way. You have to feel like Hogwarts cut so many corners. They have the... Like, seriously, think about this. There's, there, McGonagall lives God knows where on campus, and she's probably drunk half the time in this story. So the seventh year, the senior, the, the seventh year prefix, and the sixth year prefix, and the fifth year prefix are in charge of the students. So this is kind of like if you're in a family of eight kids, and the two oldest ones are in charge of raising the family while mom and dad are in the other room watching TV. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, if the first years decide we're not going to bed ever, 
like the seventh year who has a test in the morning at eight has to get up and like put them to bed. Like it just seems like they're really just shut. Then they have to patrol. Then they're the security people and they have to patrol the corridors and fight off intruders. Like it's I was just, like that. Yeah. The girls' rooms are all warded, but the guys' rooms aren't. Like, so they all have sex in the guys' rooms. It's yeah. a stupid loop. I, I don't know. It just cra- that's why I crack up when I read the Slytherin centric fix where Snape is in the common room knitting every night. Do you have any personal problems? <laughs> That doesn't happen to all of them. You're like none other. Uh, yeah, death row, all of them have that. Any fic where Snape wears a sweater vest, you know that you're going to have issues with that. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So jumping back into this, I've been monopolizing this podcast for far too long, so someone else take it and run. How's this? Usu- How's this different from usual, Ryan? Honestly, I don't. I don't know. Kronk, would you? Do you have anything to say about Final Reckoning by Lavender? Um. By Lavender Brown. Yeah, there's a lot of sex in this one, if I remember correctly. Mm. Brian Hermione, they have they have sex a, little, a, a couple times, maybe two, three. Well, can I just say, I mean, you have to love the plot device where she sets it up so that the head boy has his own room, or else it's yeah. not be awesome. <laughs> that is a great... And that's not the first time you see it. That's not the only time you ever see that in fan fiction. It's a fairly common that one where they'll be... plot device drives me up the wall. Yeah. I probably said it last week, but it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it makes no sense at all. Not only <laughs> is this putting unsupervised children in a place where they can have sex, as they clearly do in this story, what if there is a crisis in the middle of the night and the head boy and the head girl are miles away from where they should be because this, these rooms are not only... Well, so are the professors. Right, they're so. very secluded because there's well, nothing. There the professor. Like seriously, do you realize if Neville did not go to Hogwarts, Harry would be dead in the fifth book? Because Neville is his job when something awful happens to go find help. <laughs> and you send Neville, the kid with the toad, to find, and he comes back with McGonagall and her tartan. Wherever she could be. See, that's another thing that I don't get. I mean, like. Do the teachers like tell the students where their bedrooms are? Because I, I don't want I don't want no kid knocking on my bedroom door at three o'clock in the morning to say that something's happening. They've only I don't want no kid knocking on my bedroom door. <laughs> exactly what she said. Yes. Can we back the tape up, please? I don't want no kid knocking on my bedroom door. Thank you. Like I'm the, sorry. I'm like sorry. The, I'm the, like that was one step like above talk to the hand. I'm picturing her doing talk to the hand. I'm not, I don't want no kid coming to my door in the middle of the night. Like, Actually, I was, I was going to say, I find the whole concept of there being separate rooms for the head boy and head girl incredibly annoying and it's every because single stick has it. Because if you pay attention to canon, you see there in Prisoner of Azkaban when yes. he is in fact the head boy and mm-hmm. didn't go to his he private is, room where he could be doing Penelope. He is the only head boy I think we actually know, we actually right. see at any point right. in canon. What, um, what, and he's always in Gryffindor Tower. Yeah, no, was and, in, in prison. When, did they wake him up in the middle of the night or something in prisoner? I'm pretty sure he was... What? Well, like, like Ron and Hermione are in the common room. But yeah, he comes down in prisoner. They're making... Oh, yeah, whatever year it is... Harry, I mean, Percy is clearly living in Gryffindor Tower during the time he's head boy. So I would yeah. say that in there prison? is no such thing as... But how do we know that? Like, can you give... We an- know it because... It's clearly... I mean, like, he's he comes down the stairs from the boys' dormitory. I mean, I don't have citations, but... Yeah, I have it. It's in there somewhere. It's um, at the Quidditch party. And... Um, <laughs> And, and Minerva's letting them party, 
And then uh, he goes back yeah. to his room, and, and uh, Ron sees Sirius Black, and it comes screaming down. And then Minerva comes and goes, what the hell is all this noise? Uh, I appreciate being happy, but enough's enough. And Percy comes down the stairs, and he's like, well, I certainly didn't authorize this. That's what you're thinking of. Yeah. There's, there's no direct evidence in canon that there are separate rooms for the head boys and girls, even as you'll see sometimes where they'll have a separate one in each of the uh, – um, dormitories, like they'll have a separate one for Gryffindor, one for Ravenclaw in case Ravenclaw has the head boy or girl that year. There's that no evidence that anywhere. Counterproductive. Like that would be mean that you have an empty room most yeah. of the time. Every right. Slytherin fic I've ever read has the prefects all having their own rooms too. Well, I'm <laughs> sure there's fics out there where there's where the, where the head boy and the head girl have to sleep with each other every year because they only have the one bed. <laughs> it's one of the it's, it's one of the many. That's how they yeah. do it. That's how they do Draco Hermione. It's the only way they can possibly. Right. Do it. I mean, here's the thing: if you're an RA in college, you get a single. So I, I, it, it oh yeah, doesn't, it but doesn't you don't really... get you, the boy RA doesn't get to sleep with the girl RA. Technically, they're not supposed to sleep. I mean, technically speaking. Technically, they're not supposed Okay, P.S., let me ask you this question. Are people supposed to sleep together in college? No. Do they? I'm sure they do. Thank you, P.S. All right, points off. Very much so. Well, I was commenting her comment that RAs have single rooms, but the girls and guys don't share. Well, I was just yeah. pointing out that technically Ron and Hermione aren't actually supposed They're to. They're not. Well, somebody said yeah. in, never mind. Somebody was talking about them sharing a bed. I know they didn't in this, but I'm saying it does. There is some okay. where it does. Yeah. Well, and and for a while they they don't have sex because Ron is forbidden for two weeks. Well, <laughs> technically, uh, thirteen days, I believe. Right. <laughs> He didn't 40 days quite and 40 make it. Yeah, he didn't quite make it. Well, I know we haven't. Go- I don't believe we got to it yet. In fairness, I I didn't get to the last chapter and a half tonight. Although I, I know what I, Dumbledore, unfortunately, rest in peace. But um, there's a moment in one of these chapters where um, Hermione just left Ron's room or whatever, and then like five minutes later, McGonagall knocks on the door. Did we get to that yet? Yeah. Was that? that so you think of his mother? No. McGonagall knocks on the door, and then Hermione. He makes a comment to Hermione, oh, thank God you left. If you were here another five minutes, she would have seen that you had slept, you had spent the night here. Did we get to that line? No. No, that, that might come in the next one. There's a great line that addresses yeah. the, um, the, Sue knows what I'm talking There's a great line coming up that, that kind of addresses that, but you know what? Here's the deal. You're writing a story, and you're going to want to take the characters in new directions. I. It makes Lavender Brown's job much easier to have the head boy and the head girl have their own rooms. That was even set up last year. There was a scene where Katie Bell went off to her head girl room, and that's fine, and you can argue it's near all the common rooms, or it's a perk, or whatever. Like, that's fine. I don't care. I thought that the scenes that were great in here, too, were like the scenes where you have McGonagall giving the students sex change operations. I think that's implausible as magic, but I think it's hysterical, because Harry has a beer belly, and you know, Ron gets to make the comment to Hermione that our grandkids will think that Grandma's still hot, and of course, he turns 17 shades of red, because he implies they're going to get married. And... There, there's okay. Where else? How else? Seamus plays with himself. He does play <laughs> with himself. That, that was funny. I'll admit that that I, was funny. Wait, at least he didn't blow up anything. <laughs> guys, confusing separate things here. Isn't there one where they age themselves and then two. they sex two. to themselves? Yes, they age yeah. themselves and they also. So, so the our grandkids' comment isn't the sex change because no, Ron's disturbed at the sex change. He's not he's he ages, about how their grandmother yeah. is a hot man. <laughs> that would be that would be awful. Well, I love the fact that Ron refuses to look. Look at Hermione as a man because she's still she has wearing hairy legs. She has hairy 
fucking leg. What, what's up, guys? Well, my favorite <laughs> was the fact that I think it was Crab was a hermaphrodite because he couldn't change back all the way. I mean, <laughs> and I'm still pissed you didn't get play, like Blaze in there. Like, I would have loved a line like, you know, as the Gryffindors arrived for Transfigurations, the Slytherins were walking out and Blaze was half man, half woman. I mean, come on, it's not that. Yes. I mean, they could have put something in like that. But yeah, I thought that was really fun. And, you know, the, then you have the aging as well and you have Harry with the beer belly and, you know, Ron is thin. The one thing about the um, the sex change operation, I don't know why, but I, I when I, when she, every scene Seamus had, I'm picturing him with, like, old lady lipstick that's on, like, 14 times too thick and it's covering God, half your face. I picture woman Seamus as, like, wearing this, like, awful pink sweater with these, like, big trashy hoop earrings no. and like I was picturing okay back to the future 2 the alternate 1985 where Biff runs the world and and Marty McFly's mother has the big boobs and she's got the <laughs> cocktail dress I'm picturing Seamus in that cocktail dress with that hair with too much lipstick on completely in drag and I couldn't get the image out of my mind. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why it's there. But I was just stuck with it, and I just thought it was absolutely hysterical. But I did love McGonagall with her lips in, in the thinnest red line imaginable. And Dumbledore had never looked so old in McGonagall's lips. She had no lips. She had no mouth. She she was <laughs> she was a puddle of skin on her head. And she, she was like... Okay, I'm kidding. She had a mouth. And she was saying... I forget the line, but students have attempted to experiment with their new body parts. Anyone who does that will lose like 14 million points and I'll beat you. All I can picture is Ron is so screwed because all he does in this fic is play with body parts. <laughs> Speaking of sex change up. He's so happy that it, to make sure that it came back when they changed back. Yeah, he, he, he feels down. Okay, she's still there. Okay, um, Mike, sex change operations. You have a question? Oh well, yeah, was, am I the only one that I kept? I keep expecting this is the thought that pops into my head as I read this fic that eventually they're all thinking of Snape in a dress so often when they look at sexual things that if they ever see Snape in an actual dress, what's going to pop into their heads are like women's breasts. <laughs> and they'll look at her. That's going to happen. Snape Ooh. so often wears dresses. But I keep thinking, like, boy, if Snape ever does actually wear a dress, look at the association they make between these two things. Snape will become like, a rabid sex symbol. Like if they, uh, like if Neville watches a boggart again, and Snape comes back out, and he ridiculous as it gets a dress and the hat on, they're gonna be like all aroused and stuff. Oh, that'd be weird. <laughs> they get some traumatized kids there. How many times yeah. the book do you hear one of them thinking like Snape in a dress, Snape in a dress? Oh, you my know, favorite. It's like Creature the, in a Loincloth or something. Yeah. <laughs> creature in a Loincloth and Filch in a Dress. It's Filch in a Nighty. <laughs> Guys here, maybe help me out. It doesn't really work like that. It's not. Yeah, that's like- what I was wondering. I have always wondered if it worked. Okay, well, here's the deal. You know how, like, in Star Trek, when the Romulans are facing off against the, the, the Enterprise, and Picard's like, Mr. Wolf, power down our weapons, and you see the phasers, like, turn off? It doesn't work like that. There's no off switch. <laughs> I'll put it to you this way. If Ron from this fic were a real person, he would have difficulty walking. That's all. All right, so moving on with the story here. Um, 
just jumping in. I made some notes in the early chapters. There's a point where uh, Daphne reveals she has a pet snake, and Harry is squeamish of the thought of having a pet snake. The thing that jumped into my mind was Harry has obviously not read Barb's The Psychic Serpent Trilogy to be featured on Polyphic Weekly over the next several months, because in that story, Harry has has a pet snake named Sandy, as I recall. Ew. I remember that. Cassandra. Yes. Yes. Well, Sandy had the second part of the trilogy off. Uh, Sandy had to film a movie, so came back in the third. He was like sorry from uh, um, Paradigm Uncertainty. You know, it was he had a he had a better. Yeah, he had, he had an, yeah he had another he had another gig, and then the actor died unfortunately. <laughs> Cassandra is the full name of the snake. Yeah, I, be- I believe it's that explains the, a lot. After the Greek seer, yeah. yeah. Oh, I get it now because it's called a psychic serpent, so I guess there's a psychic serpent in it. The whole idea of well, we're not. You know, we're not talking about Psychic Serpent right now. We're supposed to be talking about <laughs> the Final Reckoning. No, the whole idea with the Psychic Serpent is that all snakes have the sight. They can see like a few moments in the future. And um, the larger the snake, the farther in the future they can see. So, um, for example... So I bet like Nagini is really awesome. Yeah, so like Nagini can see like a couple hours in the future. And uh, he gets a common garden snake that can see like five minutes in the future. And But then at one point, he, I think he transfigures... Uh, Sandy does a giant snake, and, and Sandy sees, like, years in the future. So it's, it's kind of cool. And he turns Sandy into a woman at one point, but we're not going to give in check. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. That was a lot, well, that was <laughs> incestuous as well. One of those kind of things. No, it's not one of those. It's not, Harry is not a cat. Although I was waiting for the point where... Because you can tell they're going down the line of bad fandom, of bad fanfics here. Lavender Brown's making commentary on Because how many fics is Harry turned into a woman? Harry's an old man. I was waiting for the one where the Harry would actually be turned Wait, is Harry into turning into an old man a common plot device that I've just apparently not, not but Harry turns into a woman frequently I was waiting for Harry to be turned into a cat moaning Yucko I think on the forum sent me a link of a fic of um, Harry turned into a cat wanted to know if it was the one I read I'm like I, read I still Harry want to read the Harry cat ones I read one with Harry turned into a snake oh uh, not a snake a frog it was really it was actually really cute Snape had to take care of the frog oh for the love of God it's one of those All right. um, <laughs> jumping back in jumping back in he's a frog Okay. There's the point where, well, I mentioned that Dumbledore is hanging on to his job like the Pope. Like Dumbledore, like will not leave the. Even he dies in the. He, he Dumbledore dies in office. Like he will not leave. I, yeah, I have a question. Why? He's like the governor like of Illinois. He's like the governor of Illinois. Just go. What, what, Here's what I didn't get. They knew he was dying for months. Why did they have to pretend he was alive for like a week after he really? Like, why couldn't they have done this preparation? You know, like three weeks ago. Like, I don't think they could. Pride? I don't think they could because yeah, they could. It's like they had. That's because well, my nervous already replacing them before he dies. Well, I think Jeez. the reason headmaster is a life position is because you're tied to the wards. You have to be there until you die because the wards. I mean, if you go away, the wards will weaken. I think the wards could tell he was still running things, which is why. Yeah, she starts replacing them while he's still alive, and then she just right. continues after he dies. So my question is, why couldn't she have started that a week earlier, so they didn't have to like keep his dead body sitting in the office? Why for- can't we fix social security? I don't know. You wait till it's it's screwed, and then you fix it. She, I don't know. I'm sorry for Dumbledore, in all honesty, in the way he died. They don't keep his dead body, like, in the chair signing bills. I mean, <laughs> like, it's not Weekend at Bernie's. Come on. I mean. Well, I, I still feel like he's either a funeral. They don't give him a funeral. I thought that really. was really sad, but he didn't get a funeral. I thought it was, I like, where, it. where is he physically for this week where they're thinking he's alive? And then they don't give I, I felt bad. No, where would you hide double? How about Hagrid's hut? No one would think to look in there. Doesn't he die in bed? I mean, isn't he in bed when yes, he, he when dies he dies? In bed, he's not dying so, in an office, 
They just leave him there. So they just leave him in bed. They just cast a charm on him and leave him there. Well, no, I, I, I've had a, a relative die in the hospital, and we gathered around her bedside, and, and they didn't move the body for a couple. Of, so yes, we, I have hung around, you know, a dead body in a bed. But you don't leave him there for seven days. I mean, why would no? He died. He died in the bed. <laughs> They put him. I'm sure Madame Pomfrey draped him in the in the in the in the cloth of the anointed sheep or whatever, and, they, and he and he was very well cared for. For no, isn't there always like that bed in the infirmary that just has the like the gate around it? Do not cross. Save for Harry. No, they had that last one. Remember when half the school died in the in the last book? There was the little like you know sheet Mort. up on the wall. You yeah, don't look over there. Like maybe Dumbledore's yeah. over there. Half the school died and they shook hands. No, half the school oh. died in uh, Morgan Le Fay. Morgan Le Fay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought. Well, never mind. No. What? Okay. Let's make a list of where Dumbledore's body is. Number one, it's in the Gryffindor seventh year boys dormitory in Ron's old bed. It's in the so spare hallway oh, room, in the Slytherin common room, and the Ravenclaw common room, and the Hufflepuff common room that they don't need because the head boy is Gryffindor. It's in the head girl's bed because Hermione never sleeps there. <laughs> oh, that is so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it's over in Ron's. They just shoved him over there. Um, where else? Where else were the? Where else can you put them? Well, there's like, aren't there like 18 students left in the school? There's got to be some empty rooms. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm they sure put him in the room of requirement. <laughs> oh, God, he's propped up at the corner. He's holding up the, um. Oh, God, can you the- believe it if, like, somebody goes there to, like, have some private time? <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that will probably get the job done better than Snape in the dress. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> God. This is Kronk. Welcome to Perfect Weekly. If I to get. But, <laughs> the edition. <laughs> the necrophilia edition of Perfect Weekly. But no, I mean, I'm sure that he was he was well cared for in, in in the unfortunate week that he was missing. But can I just say this? I mentioned this in last week's podcast. I love the fact in this story. It's the only story I can remember where the 154 year old character dies, and he dies of natural causes. There was a thing I remember a few years ago, like some old person, very, very old person, like 110 years old, died. And they died in a nursing home. And it was like one of the, they were in the Guinness Book of World Records. And they asked, they had like a press conference and the person died. And someone actually said, a reporter, what was the cause of death? And the person (laughs) looked over and said, she fell down the stairs. Like, come on. How many times have you read stories where Dumbledore dies and he's always shot, murdered? How bad is it? This is like the minority story and he actually dies. I've read stories where he dies of natural. So have I. So have I as well. It is. Sue, help me out here. Please say everyone. I haven't read any. Thank you, guys. It is. I'll I'll agree. It seems to be the minority of cases where he dies of natural causes. They tend to like to. um, The plot. I mean, what do you do with. I mean, how do you, you. It's. What does he do during the war? I mean, I either don't think there's really anything you can do with him besides kill him off or have him survive. The thing is, you kill him off for the same reason J.K. did, that you want Harry to take center stage. Yeah. Well, also, I think a lot of times he's infirmed, like he's going to die, and then he gets killed, or he he allows himself to be killed, like, for example, in... um, in canon. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, in canon or, for example, in Curse of the Damned or uh, any number of other uh, examples. Or, uh, you know, sometimes he'll live. But a lot, it seems to be the trend in fanfiction to have him die. Uh, I've, I don't know if I've read more than a half dozen major works where he lives past, you know, more than, you know, a couple of days past the end of um, the, the final battle. 
it's it's strange to have him live. I think. I don't think, I think I've the, ever read one where he's lived. I don't think it's strange to have him like survive, you know, the canon time and have him like appear in a post Hogwarts fic. I've seen a bunch of those. Yeah. Oh, I actually read one where he was alive like fifty years later. Like uh, a I, long many, years have passed. Many, many stories, like post canon stories, written obviously before Hefflet Prince, right. where he's still alive. Oh, I'm, I have. It's like Merlin and lived backwards. I have very sad news here to report. Michelle um, Roddenberry, wife of Gene Roddenberry, has yeah. died. Oh, you didn't know that? Oh. Yeah, I saw that earlier. That's is that? She, at least she got the the voice work done for the new Star Trek. That makes me actually very sad because um, my fiance has just started watching Star Trek, and this is one of her favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she uh, Loxana, she's great. She had yeah. leukemia. She she had leukemia. Apparently, I I saw that too. I, I was surprised. Well, you know, I thought my my father actually passed away um, from complications from leukemia, and he was diagnosed and then died 33 days later. So it's not, especially if you're in your mid 70s, you can just get it and you can just go. Oh, that's that's sad. She's uh, really good. She actually, I don't know if they got a chance. Oh, good. I'm actually reading the um, the obit here. The new Star Trek movie is. Does she it, did Mike, it. She recorded the audio for the computer. And Mike, you don't know what I'm talking about here. Um, in in 1964, a guy named Gene Roddenberry created Star Trek, and he had uh, in his cast um, the, the 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 first officer of the ship, the second in command, was this young, brilliant woman who was um, played by a woman named Michelle Barrett. And they said, you know, that's impossible. A woman could not be that highly ranked. We don't like the character get rid of her so what he ended up doing was he um they created the show and he just gave her a blonde wig and made and, and the actress was the ship's nurse and <laughs> the creator of star trek ended up marrying her yeah he had an affair and his wife and he ended up marrying her so now she's in the she's in the pilot episode as one character and then she plays the ship's nurse and then like a um, half dozen episodes or so half dozen ep- well probably even a bit more than that and then in um then in the second series, she comes on and she's the voice of the ship's computer, and she also plays the, one of the mothers, uh, one of the characters' very eccentric mothers. So she has that role, and then she play, she continues to play, you know, the ship's computer and, and and like the voice, and she's in all these other shows. Does she have any other roles besides? She plays the XO, the nurse. Um. Besides, uh, I mean, as far as um, screen roles, no. She only has the the three screen roles in Star Trek, but she did actually do the voice of the computer um, in the original uh, series as well. She did. That's that, you're right. And what ended up happening, Mike, was there. Mike, you you're here, right? Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening. Oh, thank God! I, I would have hated it if you weren't here. Um, they're doing a retooling of Star Trek, so they're taking the original show and they're doing a re tooling of it and they're releasing it um in theaters just two weeks ago they hired her back they had her just they had her do the voice of um the computer so she would be in all of the star trek incarnations which was a really cool thing so i guess she just got that done yeah Yeah, she also does what they said in the one i did that she i read that they got it done yeah she does she just did it two weeks ago yeah she does voices for the computer and everything, including uh, all the all the computer games and stuff like that. Every time there's a computer voice, she does it, and she's been doing that for like 30 years now. And it's it's you know she's very good at it. Golden job. Yeah, she, yeah she's um and she actually um what, like I said, she married the um creator of Star Trek, and years after he died, like in the late 90s, she took all of his unproduced scripts and like ideas for TV shows he had, and she actually got a few of them produced. In turn to show, so did, yeah, you like she, them? Yeah. did you like them, Ryan? I actually did not like them. 
<laughs> but good for her for doing it for him. Um, I, I did not like them at all, but... So, uh, drama Andromeda, is that the one? Andromeda and um, Earth Like Final. the book or just no relation? Uh, no, it's um, it was a Hercules-type show with Kevin Sorbo, oh. which I thought was ridiculous. And then um, Earth Final Conflict, which I think the first season was good, then after that went to hell in a handbasket. But yeah. Oh, well, that's too bad. I just, I'm, I'm glad that she got to do her... Um, and you know when the movie comes out, when her voice comes on, everyone in that theater is in that cheer, which is really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I is it is I I don't know if this is morbid or not, but I'm really I'm more excited now to see the movie. Yeah, I wasn't really that excited before because well, it's first like of all, I can't the, it's like stand, Leo in the West Wing. I came out. I can't stand that Siler guy. I hate him so much. <laughs> I, I don't want to look at him, and it really pe- really makes me angry. Wow. Well, let's. Wow. Feel pretty strongly about that, huh? P.S. Well, no, it's like it's like. I, really um, do. I hate Siler. He's like, like Siler's such a great character. Oh, Isn't God, Tom Hanks in them too? I mean, I Tom Hanks. No, he's on. Um, what's it? What's Star Trek? Um, Star Trek. No. Han Solo. Oh, are, you, are you thinking Tom Cruise? Han Solo is not. Tom Cruise. Maybe I'm thinking Tom. I don't know. One of them. Tom Cruise isn't in the movie now. There was a rumor he would be, and I think the fans let themselves on fire, and they decided not to do that. <laughs> but, um, no, it's, well, it's yeah. like, um, for those of you who are West Wing fans, when you watch the show for seven years and then halfway through the last season, one of the actors, like the coolest actor on the show, drops of a heart attack in real yeah. life. Mm-hmm. And they had six episodes um, left to film, so then they have to like work his death in and do all this stuff. And watching it was really hard because um, the actor... Um, they had, I think, something like three or four episodes completed. Um, so he, the actor dies when the show is on break, and then it comes back, and he's still on the show for a few weeks because right, they already recorded those. And what, what, yeah, and what was awful was they gave the character a very graphic heart attack on the show, and then it just so happened that the actor later died. So it's like you watch those episodes where the actor is pretending to have a heart attack, knowing in a year he really has one, and you're like... <laughs> that that then, was really celebrity death really one of the very few that i really got upset someone asked him a question about government service and he makes a comment like are you capable of serving in government because you have a heart condition and he makes a line like the first cause the first symptom of a heart attack is death i am so lucky to be alive today and that aired after the actor died so you're like <laughs> like watching it because it's just they couldn't have filmed it to make you cry more <laughs> when you find <laughs> out the character dies it well, no, it was, um, who was the first cry? It was, uh, DeForest Kelly, Dr. McCoy went. Yep. And then, mm-hmm. um, Mark Leonard, Sarah went. And then, um, Scotty, uh, James yeah. Doohan. Oh, beam me up. Well, beam me up, Scotty. He passed. Well, it was awful because, um, they gave him the yeah. little star on the, the what, what was it called? Yeah. Walk, the Walk, Walk of Fame. Fame. They gave him his, and he was the last of, he was, you know, uh, Walt Connick hasn't gotten one. He was the second last to get one. And Grace Lee Whitney, who played um, Yeoman Rand, was there, and um, they were all saying wonderful words for him. Now, at this point, the guy's 85 years old. He's in a wheelchair. He has, he has Alzheimer's. He's starting to, you can tell he doesn't have much time left. And he, had, you know, God bless me as a six year old at the same time. And 
she she takes the microphone and everyone's saying, you know, Jimmy, we love you, we love you, you're the best. And he he was. He was a very warm, great guy. And she starts giving a speech. I'm watching it on TV. And she's like, don't worry, Jimmy, because you'll be with God soon. And God lo-. and she kept repeating, you know, God <laughs> loves you. And we lo-. But she kept saying, you'll be with God soon. And he's just smiling back because he has no idea what the hell's going on because he doesn't even know where he is probably. And I'm just like, can you stop inferring that he'll be... <laughs> True, he died like a month and a half later, but it's like, stop saying you're going to die. Be hopeful. <laughs> and it's like, Jesus Christ. It was like, I'm like, someone, I'm waiting for like Patrick Stewart to like elbow her in the ribs and grab the microphone out of her hand. It was awful. It was like, oh, poor Jimmy. When you can't even defend himself, but yeah. No, it's always sad. It was um, Babylon 5 too. Um, I know PS was watching it and Mike watched it. It was really hard because right after, you watch the show for five years and you know all these actors just love each other. And especially on B5, they filmed it off Hollywood to save money. So they they were the only actors around. So they didn't like go over and see buddies on the other shows. It was just a bunch of people doing this project. And right after the series died, like boom, 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 three of the major characters, three of the actors died. passed away, like boom, boom, boom. Um, Dr. Franklin, Jakar, and um, Zathras. Really? But they're not wow. like in it. Like it's not like in the story, right? No, I mean, it after, all they're... happened after. Well, they actually they the story they continued with um, a couple of actually no. The only thing to come out after they died, they did a um, they did a, they did they're calling it the Lost Tales. They do like thirty minute skits, and there was one where um, the the two characters they they put a reference to their deaths in it, but the because. I don't want to spoil anything. They're de- they're, the actors' deaths do not affect the plot in any way, although they hint at the actors' deaths in the story without it referencing the characters. They make a reference to, like, for example, Ojakar and Dr. Franklin um, had to go beyond the rim. They hoped we wished them well. It, the, uh, the characters aren't dead, but they do the thing where they okay. kind of do a shout-out to the actors. Yeah, oh, yeah, um... Richard Biggs, who played Dr. Franklin, was like, he's this 42-year-old guy in perfect shape, didn't have, like, an ounce of fat in his body, took great care of himself. He's home in his kitchen at 6 o'clock in the morning, like, packing lunches for his kids, and they drop dead of an embolism. So it's like, or an aneurysm, I'm sorry. It's like, what do you... Sometimes it's your time, but... Yeah. This just became death cast, I'm sorry. <laughs> speaking <laughs> of embolism, speaking of embolism... Welcome to... Embolism is something that Ron confuses um, metabolism for, and that's another thing that I thought was really interesting throughout this whole fic, is there's a lot of muggle medical stuff. Like, they learned CPR, or they... they Why do you think that is? Because you told me that she's a nurse. <laughs> Lavender Brown is a nurse? By the way, did anyone else notice... I, am I correct in assuming that Snape starts picking on the Slytherins because he's pissed about what they did to Draco? Snape seems more fair in this one. There was a moment yeah. where... Um, I don't know. So I didn't think he was that it was fair. I thought it was... He doesn't start taking points from Slytherin until after Draco's hurt. So I'm thinking... And for the same reason he doesn't yell when um, Harry shrinks... Is it Goyle, I think? And while Hermione's sneaking to steal stuff, Harry... Sh- and he doesn't take any points from Harry... Or get, or no, I always thought that he was only doing it in the in the beginning because he didn't want he wanted to make Lucius think that he was still you know on Voldemort's side. Well, Since he, he doesn't points. have to do that anymore, he doesn't have to favor Draco. But I don't think he doesn't have to, but I think he honest. I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much, but I thought the implication was no, I'm with Mike. Think of Harry detention, and the reason he starts taking points from, if, he, if you look at who he takes points from, it's, it's from Knot, and it's from Crab, and it's from Goyle. Um, 
And so I, I just assumed that it was like this was his way of getting back for what they did to Draco. Well, you know what? I can't actually. Um, I'm trying to remember back to the way that she characterized Snape in, in Morgan Le Fay. And correct me if I'm wrong, but for huge stretches of Morgan Le Fay, Snape isn't even there. Yeah. It's like Alan Rickman was off filming a movie or whatever. So you don't have Snape, you don't have Snape, you don't have Snape. Then you have Snape um, at the very end, and he does the spy thing, and he, you know, is Luna's nurse, in, you know, is assisting Luna in her um, her potion making. And then in, in her little surgical thing there, when she, oh, she doesn't do surgery, she just makes the potion. And on yeah. this one, he's the, um, he's the outed spy. Like, yeah, there were moments like where, yeah, Harry, like, blows up the potion dungeon, nothing seems to happen. Um, Snape seems more in the story, and I don't know the origin of it, he seems less cruel and more snarky. Like, for example, in most fan fiction or even fandom that you read, today we're going to make fruit juice in potions class. But by the way, if you make fruit juice wrong, it will burn your lungs from the inside until you die. You will be drinking your potion, so I do hope you make it right. And you're reading this, you're like, that doesn't seem right. That seems a little... And then, in this one, he's like, oh, if only I could make you test your own potions. I'm like, ah, apparently (laughs) you were lying. I would say this is the a case of somebody forgetting what happened in canon. Yeah. Or yeah, I, I honestly he was just that, kidding all that time. Yeah. I, see, I honestly thought that because you don't start seeing these instances until after Drake goes in. I can't think of one more he's nice before. You don't see him before, do you? As another author, I find it kindly to justify their plot holes for them, which is well, why is I said, or whatever. I mean, see, I hear it, but I was trying to give her credit for being so clever and no, it's very possible. I mean, the other thing, too, is... Um, oh, was I just going to say... Uh, there was also the other point, too, where he collects their summer homework and says, Oh, I look so forward to reading them. I'm sure they'll be <laughs> fascinating. And it's like, okay... Like, I'm waiting for, like, Snape to walk in and be like, my dungeon is fabulous. Like, it's just like he seems <laughs> kind of uh, different from canon. And you know what? That's fine. I mean... I think that I do get the sense, especially if you read through the whole thing, her Snape is a little more layered, um, or layered differently, I should say. He's a complicated character, but different than you'll find in some other fics. I don't know. I can buy Mike's explanation as much as anything else, so I just say that we go with that one. That one's fine. Yep. <laughs> um, just to flip through here, I'm looking through my notes for they have here. I like that Neville runs the DA. It's good that he steps up to the plate and is more than just the crab and goyle of Gryffindor. He's more than just the lackey. He is able to take on Hopkirk, and he's scared like hell, but he's still going to do it. I thought that was great. Just the comparisons between Draco and Harry um, through the mouth of um, Daphne Greengrass, you know, not everyone is as strong as you, in other words, Draco. And I really like, in P.S., um, can expand on this. She made a comment to me that if Melinda didn't turn her into a Jehovah's Witness raging um, Harry Jenny supporter over here, this fic may have done it. She shows them having a really deep, strong, personal connection that is very different from that that he's had with any other character, and that is how Lavender Brown communicates that the Harry Ginny relationship is different from any other thing that Harry's had, and how even though he's got all these girls that he's doing stuff with, 
The one that he keeps coming back to, the one that he always connects with is Jenny. They both know exactly what it feels like. And, like, you know, if you're someone who maybe lost a parent, you know, maybe only people who lost another their parent know what it feels like. Or maybe if you're someone who's had cancer, maybe only other cancer patients can understand what it feels like. I mean, Jenny lost Dean because her life was too complicated for him. Harry lost Susan because his life was too dangerous for her. So they understand that. And Ron and Hermione are off in La La Land having sex all the time, so maybe they can't understand what that feels like. So that's another bond that Harry and Jenny have. Or, you know, especially the Chamber of Secrets. That's very well played in these chapters. You know, Harry has to go down to the chamber to get the notes that his parents left uh, for him, and Ginny overhears the word chamber. And she's like, what about the chamber? And everyone goes silent, because it's like mentioning, you know, the Holocaust to a survivor. You don't want to dredge that up. And they eventually take her down there, and, you know, she has a really bad reaction, and they take her back up. I mean, that's something that Gen 2 is very moved by in the last of the chapters, I remember, um, just that, you know, you you have Ginny, and she's been someone that, in canon, she's fine. In this story, she's not fine. She goes in the story down to the chamber and has her experience with Tom Riddle, and then she's left to talk about it with a therapist who won't even say his name. She hasn't been helped. She's gone through this herself. She's fine now, but it was very difficult, but Harry can get that. So, there's many reasons why that grouping works out very well, but I think it's played very well here. What did you think about it, P.S., just the whole Harry Ginny? The thing that I really like about the Harry Ginny relationship is how they can connect to each other based on the fact that, you're right, they do understand what it's like because they've both had experiences being possessed by Voldemort. They've both had this experience where they know him fairly intimately, where they that it's something that nobody else can share and their lives are like more serious than everyone else's. And so I really like how, how Lavender Brown plays up that angle of their relationship and how that brings them together, because that's how I would have done it if I did it. But you did it, but that's okay. No, I haven't been able to write Harry Jenny. I can't write Harry Jenny. I was going to say, P.S., maybe now that you, uh, you know, actually appreciate the ship a little bit more, you'll be able to write it sometime in the future. Yeah, I just said I couldn't. I haven't been so able to you tried since then? I've been trying and trying and trying, and I just can't do it. Okay, well... That's not, you know, a critical character flaw, I suppose, but, uh, you yeah, know, whatever. <laughs> I was going to say the, also this, this, the stuff with Harry and Ginny, uh, part of it, part of the, I was thrown out of this a, a little bit because of the whole Ginny being a healer thing, uh, was so much like what I had just read, like maybe a week before when I read after the end. So it was mm-hmm. like, you know, I was like, okay, so this is the exact same plot line. Why are we doing this again? Since then, I've, you know, it, you, you see the same plot lines over and over again. It doesn't bother me as much anymore, but. I remember at the time being very thrown out of the story by it being essentially a repeat of that. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a repeat. One thing that cracked me, well, no, well, first of all, it was admitted to be um, a ripoff. Well, I shouldn't say ripoff. It was admitted to be homage. Uh, plot. No, my, well, let's call it a plot duplication. Um, it, it was it was freely admitted that that's what it was. Um, the idea. I mean, it's like when you read you know, Ron's a seer. That's all over the place too. I mean, it, it was yeah. definitely. Um, See, that's something that bugged me. I don't know. She keeps like saying in the author's notes looking. that she took things from other fix. And I'm like, okay, even if you say you did it and you credit them, that doesn't make it okay. Well, it does make it okay. I mean, if you look at Babylon 5, you're going to find that there's so much inspired from Lord of the Rings, down to characters' names, down to very unique places. I mean, it's one thing, if you're going to obviously draw inspiration from something that someone else did, and you're going to reference that in your story, that's 
fine. The problem comes in when you throw it in and you you pass it off as your own idea. The fact that she says, look, this is something that has been done in the, in the fandom, you know, since the dawn of time. I'm doing my own variation. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that, but I just I just thought it was weird. You know, like, it's maybe something I've never seen before. The way I read it was she wrote it, and then a bunch of people said, hey, that's just like this one. And so she went back and looked and said, oh, I guess it was. But she, I don't think she yeah. consciously... I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right on that, because I think she said she read after the end and kind of forgot about it and probably had the idea in her head. Um, and I think I, I don't remember, because then there was the whole subplot with Ginny helping Draco. And I'm not sure where that really played into it as well. And there are differences, I mean, in after the end being... I'm not saying it's the same. I mean, I don't know if I haven't read it after yeah. the end, but so maybe I yeah, really can't comment. Yeah, it's like, it's like one in a billion people are healers in, in after the end, whereas now, you know, Tonks is one as well, Mrs. Tonks. So th- there's some... Mm-hmm. I guess there's like to a degree. There's only so many like plots you can make. You have to start <laughs> writing about like Ginny goes to Hawaii or something. Well, it's like how many times you have to have the you have you know, the only so many professions they can have too. I mean, Harry's right. a Quidditch player, or he's an aura, or he's something else. But he's always one of those. It's a small range of things, you know. Which is good because the fact that they're so similar also to a degree means they're good because they have it closer to the character, more realistic. Yeah, because I mean, like Harry. Harry's not going to go off and become some muggle thing. I mean, or Harry's not going to become a healer. Like, I can't no. Harry's a healer. I've never read Harry's healer, which I take as a good thing. I will... Mm. He would be such a crappy healer. He would like, be you know, such a crappy healer. Actually, he, I have read one fic where like, he had healing powers. He would be like, but... you're going to die. Like, he would, have, <laughs> he would have the... Actually, I am not a fan of Ginny as a healer either, because I think Ginny doesn't have the bedside manner or the patience to be a good healer. But... I've read some good Harry healer fics, actually, because it's not... I think what it takes sometimes, depending... I mean, this is obviously magic. This is in real life. And I think what... I'm trying to remember this fic, and what made me think it fit Harry was that it was about him having empathy for the plights of others, of him like genuinely wanting to help someone when he sees them injured. And like that was sort of his motivation to become a healer. Well, like, he was tired of doing violence and he wanted to but he still wanted to help people but he didn't want to do violence himself. Well, I want to help people, too, but I have no earthly idea what I'm doing. I mean, the thing with Harry is he's the type of person that if you, like, hit your head, he would try and put, like, an ice pack on it, but he would, like, come forward so forcefully, he would, like, punch you in the face of the ice pack. I mean, he's just, he's not really good in that way. He's good with his, he's good on a broom, he's good, you know, trying to strategize things out, maybe, but he's not the person that you want performing open-heart surgery. And I disagree. I think Ginny's a much better candidate for that than Hermione, because I think Hermione would be sitting there with the manual... Saying, well, it says here you're fine. Well, I'm not. I have a fever. Well, I think none of them here. I think I I actually don't think like any of the main four would make good healers. Hermione would. No, she wouldn't. She would. I just said that she would scream at you. Hermione would. Hermione doesn't lose her temper. Hermione would fail her first. Hermione Granger. What is the thing where you where you do the doc do your doctor stuff with like a real doctor there to like she would freak out. Internship. I I guess you're being like a no nonsense nurse, like where she just. Like, like one of those, like sort of like um, you guys ever read Indian in the cupboard as a kid? You remember the nurse from that, like the stiff British nurse with like the big top hat that was like no nonsense. I, yeah, I, I can see her like that, but I then I also can't see Hermione standing for being just a nurse. If you know what I mean? Yeah, mm, yeah. You would think she would rather be like a no. If Hermione um, was going to do it, do she medical would be research. a doctor, and she wouldn't be a good doctor. 
so she wouldn't be in the medical yeah. field at all. I, I see magic healers like, as the profession, as we see them in canon, as being closer to a nurse than a doctor in terms of patient interaction. I think that's because right, um, we see Madame Pomfrey, and she is a nurse. She's a school nurse. Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking too, with... Um, Unless I'm confusing it with Fix, but I'm thinking of with Mr. Weasley and those people bustling around. You don't like, really see that enough to comment, I don't think. Can I just ask a question? Mike has just sent me the following message. Was Double Door a healer magic touching dude? <laughs> he was a teacher. Well, well Dumbledore was a teacher. Wait, Mike. I, don't, I don't know. Dumbledore also, could have been anything. Was Dumbledore a healer magic touching dude also? Is there someone else who was a healer magic touching dude? Ginny. Ginny is a healer magic yeah. touching dude. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Well, I, you know what? I, I was trying clear. to distinguish between the healers and healers. Hey, healers Mike, with a capital Mike, H and healers with the lower the, the magic oh, is this like healing small touching. Democrat? I hate it when they do that. The magic healing touching dudes have to be girls, so I don't think the. No, it did. He said that it's almost always girls, but not always. He said almost always. This is what the line said in, in the book. And then I'm okay. thinking because Dumbledore is giving her his pensive, so I was thinking, oh, maybe he went through the same thing. Except he well, says he cleaned it out when he gives it to her. Well, he cleaned it out, but why, why is it, if it's useful for the healer dudes, I'm thinking, like, he cleaned it out, but the reason he's giving it to her is because he knows what she's going through. Well, he was he, also he was dying and giving away his shit. I mean, there's that yeah. component. <laughs> well, there's a scene earlier where Ron comes running in in his, well, there was this, there was the moment where Ron comes flying in to say he saw uh, the vision of Karkaroff, and they, and they, well, my thing was, in every scene, he's in bed, he's always naked there in his underwear, because her mind is always there. Was but yeah, that's what you're talking about, Dumbledore. Wait, so no, he's, no, he's definitely on. not, or was I mad? Because I thought it's, I thought it no. heavily implied that he was one. I don't think so, but I'm talking yeah, about Ron. I thought Ron it, charged in. We're talking about Dumbledore. Maybe, maybe Dumbledore was. Dumbledore. <laughs> Dumbledore might have been. No, hold on. The scene was when Ron charges in, and I thought he was in his underwear, and that was why McGonagall was looking at him funny, but as it turns out, he just was there in the middle of the night. And he says, oh. God, I can't remember the the city. And Dumbledore is is naming off. He's like Dallas, Texas. No crap, uh, Boulder, Colorado, because he's just naming places. And at one point, I'm like, why doesn't Ron just give him the memory of the dream? And up, oh, that's right, he gave away the pensive. Oh, isn't that because you could have used it right now? So. <laughs> I do like. Uh, I, I, <sighs> There, many times they'll forget about the pensive anyway. Even if it, even if it does, uh, even if he does have it, they'll they'll be like, oh well, you know, there'll be times when the memory would be so much better than actually saying something. But it, it's only in fan fiction where you ever see you know them use the pensive really for anything important at all. You know, except well, for do, do you like what you do in the Order of the Phoenix movie and just shoot each other, and then you'll experience all their memories anyways. That's right. Kronk has a point in that. I think it's often a poor um, author device to to tell you instead of showing you. But J.K. kind of does that. Uses it a ton yeah. for important stuff. I mean, all through books. It, so. and books wanna, are, um, go ahead, sir. Go back just a little bit to where we were talking about Ginny in the Chamber. Because uh, the previous episode, when we were talking um, with Gen 2, we were talking about Ron wanting to help Ginny and, and trying to and she said, you know, where were you when I really needed you? And I really liked that he was the one that comforted her in the chamber. And he was the one that that kind of took her back up to the top. And he finally got to be the big brother that he'd been really wanting to do. And I, I liked that little bit there. 
He paved the way for her to go, too, when Harry was the flip-out one saying, you, you're not going, you're not going, you're not going. Ron said, yes, she is. Yeah, he, he yeah. stuck up against both of them. And it didn't work out well, and Ginny was very dramatized by going, and if you notice after that, Ron defaults back to being the overprotective brother, where how dare you go near my sister, and how dare you imply mm-hmm. she will touch Draco Malfoy, and I will kill you, and Ginny's like, oh, shut up, oh, shut up. And it was actually at the end of the chapter, Hermione elbowed Ron in the ribs so many times, I was waiting in the next chapter for Hermione I need to, like, move all of her stuff back into her own room and be like, I've had it with your temper! Gee, here's a question about Ron's temper. Were the, the, the magic touching stuff, does you're absorbing... <laughs> oh, God. You gotta stop calling it that, man. I'm just gonna keep laughing. <laughs> well, what is it called? Uh, <laughs> no, it's like, who here... Okay, Star Trek Keeps Phase 9. Um, Kai uh, Wynn. You know how she does the thing where she touches your earlobe and says your pot yes. is strong? And the people who do the closed captioning for the hearing impaired think she's saying power and she's bland from the Golden Girls. Your pa is strong. You know, it's like, I'm picturing Dumbledore and Tonks. Well, it's not Dumbledore because he's not a magic toucher. But, you know, Mrs. Tonks and Ginny walking around, like, putting her hand on Ron's head. And Ron's like, <sighs> and they're just like, bless you, my child. Like, I'm just picturing like, someone like, like that. Okay, my like question the one of hands. Like, it's one of those, like, religious things. Like, those people in the tents. People in the tent. <laughs> people in the tent. <laughs> you, you know what really, I mean. We're like they go in a tent and they get healed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's exactly like that. <laughs> I, I had a question though. Oh, oh, Mike, please ask your question. I can't believe you don't know what I mean by the by. This I know thing. what you mean. We're laughing at you. Oh, so my question just was: I'm, I'm correct if I'm remembering this correctly that when they touch you. They're not just making your stuff go away. They themselves absorb it, and they feel it themselves. But I wanted to, because you never see, like, when Ron's in these towering rages, they never get angry when they suck up his anger. And they never you never see them, like, touching their foreheads when they suck up Harry's forehead pain. So I'm curious, is it really that much of a side effect that they, because they don't seem, like, you keep hearing about how you have to be careful because if you do it too, you're not just making it disappear, you're absorbing it, but they never seem to actually react to it. Well, it's not like a Vulcan mind meld. I mean, it's not like, I just watched an episode of Star Trek. And with the Star Trek references. Well, no, well, I've been uh, off for a couple of weeks. It's not like the one where, you know, Tuvok mind melds with the convicted killer and the killer comes out like a Vulcan and Tuvok comes out wanting to burgle. I mean, I took it to be that Ron, it's like a giant microwave. I mean, Ron is sitting there and he's got the temper and it's like, it, it's it's weighing him down and all this stuff. And Jenny sucks all the bad junk out of him and like vents it out the back of her head. Like, I didn't take it to be like she was sitting on so they, don't, they don't actually keep it themselves well, and feel it, like it, that. She, well, there is a reason why she doesn't, you know, want to heal Draco because it hurts her. Her and Harry hurt her too. Right. So I think it's a. She like she takes the the rage from Ron and she filters it through her and out into the vacuum of space. Yeah. Okay. That was how. That was how I saw. Ginny is a giant microwave. Which so why I'm can't she right kiss there. Harry? Why can't why she can, why can't she have sex with Harry? Exactly. Like what? Because I think it's I think it's a it's not necessarily even. I'm sure bad emotions are are difficult, but any anytime she touches someone or is that close to someone, it is just like you're absorbing from them, and it's it's something that is draining and pain, and difficult, regardless of whether it's a good emotion and, or a bad emotion. And okay. I think she. The problem is she, she can't stop loses herself. control and then gives it back. So she is absorbing it and then loses control and blasts it back at him, and right. then that hurts him. So I, I guess yeah. 
pretty much. I guess the idea is it's just too much raw emotion, regardless whether it's lust, pain, or whatever. And the idea is eventually she'll be trained enough that she only does it at will, like with a conscious effort, so that her and Harry could have sex, but she won't be doing the emotion thing, even in the passion, because she has to consciously will it. Is that what, like, the goal they're heading towards? I don't know. I, I, I don't recall if it's that she can that she can turn it off, or if it's something where she can just handle it. She can build up a tolerance to it. She can handle it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's probably something that will always affect her. Like, I don't know if it's like, you know, she goes to the food court, and she touches the cashier's hand, and she gets her change, and she's absorbing sexual frustrations. Like, I'm not sure exactly how that works, but <laughs> I'm sure that's the bottom line. Oh, please. Ev- everyone is so sexually frustrated in this fic. It's unbelievable. <laughs> There's a lot. Yeah, how many times? Even the characters who are having lots of sex, they're still frustrated. Well, one thing I really liked, I can't even remember if it was this week's chapters or last week's, when you find out that Ginny really did um, have sex with Dean, and Dean, she, 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 yeah, was it these, and Dean yeah. really fell for her, and it got to the point where because she was absorbing so much from him, it scared the crap out of him, and he essentially did leave her for much the same reason that Susan left Harry. I mentioned that earlier. I mean, I, I thought that that was a really, great way to write it because it, it really shows that there's costs to things. It really shows that some people aren't going to be the selfless heroes that, that our heroes are, that the trio is. And I, th- I thought that was a very natural reason for someone to want to end a relationship because that's a huge, that, that's a very difficult thing to, to be with someone who can't touch you because it hurts them. I mean, that's especially for a character who... Pushing daisies. I like love X-Men. that. X-Men. Yeah. 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 Rogue. I'm the X-Men. Yeah. How is it that he knows so much about the X-Men but knows absolutely nothing about Star Trek and thinks it's Star Wars? I have no idea. Honestly. How, are, just, you in, are you in mourning, P.S., about the Bush Daisies? I am absolutely I, yes. in mourning. I yeah. am, too. I, never heard of I haven't watched it, but I've heard nothing but good things, and I know it I have is, several friends who love it. It is the best show on television currently. Hmm. Oh, Kronk, I forgot to mention earlier, Mike, with P.S.'s assistance for Christmas, got Mike got me um, an autographed photo of Avery Brooks. <laughs> Wow, that's a pretty good one. Hang on, guys. I got he... to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Sorry. So so okay. Well, the thing I love about social work. I feel so. I feel so bad. Just, Can this you do it hearing. on the Skype? <laughs> guys, shoot, 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 shoot. I have to cough. Mute the Can Skype. Can you do on, okay, on the Skype? There is yeah. a picture of a microphone with a line through it. That is mute. Watch me using it coming <laughs> off mute. Right. <laughs> Okay, here. It's to the right of the pause button of the underneath the chat thing. I think she got it. Of course, Seriously. That's the one I use because the one on my mic is very intermittent. I feel like we're being exclusive by making her mute herself uh, in her suffering. It works great on You're suffering, so go away and don't. (laughs) Well, no, there's the people then who are suffering, but they they want to suffer private. feel like it's subdued or something. (laughs) I have three cough drops in my mouth. You'd think that would help. (laughs) How are you able to speak? You know what Kronk showed me? Talent. What's that? (laughs) Kronk showed you talent? No. What did I show you, Mike? The, um, oh, God, what is it called? You walk around on the roads and you shoot people. That's awful. Kronk showed you how to walk around and shoot. <laughs> no, no, it, 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 it's the game, and you're like a like a, like a super creature wearing things in your backpack, and you like do That's little terrible. missions. And you know what I'm talking about? The thingy? <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. He's talking about World of Warcraft. 
I figured oh, okay. that's what he was talking about. I was hoping that was what he was talking about. Oh my god, okay. Um, wow. I still don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> we're just gonna leave it there. Alright, we're getting near the, um, near the, the downturn of our episode tonight. We had to stop briefly for, you know, a, a funeral halfway through the episode. So I'm just gonna read through my notes here. I'm oh my god, can I say, Sirius's letter to Harry made me sob my brains out. Best yeah. line in that letter. Best line in that letter was at the very end. The and best I honor pull- of my life was not being James Potter's best friend, but being God father to his son? Yes. That was one of the best lines, because when you read Marauder Fix, you get trapped in this world where they exist as these four friends in school, and, you know, the biggest events is Lily Evans and James getting together, and, you know, the order and all this and all this. It's the same plots that you see recycled over and over again. One of the things I really like about um, fan fiction is that sometimes you have fictional characters written who are, are just so expansive. Where they start is nowhere like where they end. And if there's, uh, you know, the character of John Sheridan on Babylon 5, there's, you know... Who's that? Uh, you haven't met him yet. Um, there, there's... I'm trying to think of a character here. Um, you know, the character of Albus Dumbledore, maybe, where he started from where he ends. Um, the character of Neville, where he starts from where he ends. It'd be a good choice. Or not even that. I mean, you can start off, like, like look at the character of Sirius. He starts off his story as... And he dies, you know, at a very young age. He starts off as the rich privileged kid of a pureblood family. He becomes a Gryffindor outcast. You know, an outcast as a Gryffindor. He um, becomes a member of the Order of the Phoenix. He His life ends the day that James and Lily are killed. So the Marauder era ends tragically. He spends 13 years or 12 years as um you know, essentially a dog in Azkaban, you know, living off Azkaban. He spends one year in the run, and then he goes back into the order again. I mean, when you look at where he comes from and where he ends, he, you can imagine him just laying in the room for years, remembering the Marauder era, you know, just trying to remember what people looked like. You can just tell this character has gone so far. I love the part that at the very end, he's like the honor of my life. Wasn't that the one period in my life where I was truly happy? It was the fact that I got to be your godfather. And that's just... That's it's, it's a line you never get, but that always sticks with you. I think that was just such a great line. It's wonderful. I can't, oh, oh, P.S. Hug. Ah. Oh, she's tearing up. All right, to to save P.S. here, can I point out the part where they're in um, Sprout's class and they have to have um, gloves saturated in unicorn piss? Uh. <laughs> What's that even all about? I, I'm blanking. I can't even remember what they needed to do with it, but there was unicorn piss somehow involved. All right, I'm going to just fly through here and name some of my favorite parts, then we'll just do final thoughts. Uh, we have the unicorn piss on the gloves in Sprout's class, which I thought was great. I love the fact that the story is written like 24, is in real time. We're on chapter 40 or whatever. We're on chapter 30, and it's like day six back at Hogwarts. Because Hagrid, conveniently, has been gone since, I think, Order of the Phoenix. He's yeah, I, I was kind of confused <laughs> about that. I, I mean, because when I read that he came back, I couldn't remember if he'd been in Book of Morgan. And I'm like, do they expect us to believe he's been gone for two straight years? <laughs> well, he could always be in the... Thr- I mean, it's Hagrid. You know, you never know where the hell Hagrid is. Who wants to write his accent anyway? Yeah, who... No, they don't want to write his accent. That's exactly it. Mike got one. <laughs> so right. um, th- there's the point where Hag- where where they're told Hagrid has a family issue to deal with, meaning <laughs> he's in the woods of the Grump. And Hermione gives Neville a significant, significant glance. glance. <laughs> significant glance. 
Trelawney smells like dying begonias. I thought that was a wonderful characterization of, of um, Trelawney. There was the great scene in um, in the car, I think it was up in the dorm with Ron and Harry, where Ron just snaps at Hermione's. He's such an ass, and, and Harry rips him a new one. He's like, look, he's like, I, my life is not my own. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing these awful visions of people being raped and murdered, killed. You know, I, I am, I'm under stress from every level, and, and I don't know if I can do it. And he, the one thing that got to me is he had to ask permission from Ferenz to wank off. He had to ask permission from Ferenz, and permission was denied. Like, he's like, how humiliating is it to ask? So it's like his life is coming apart, and... Well, I would ask permission if it was, but whatever. And then he sees her die, and that's yeah. part of why he really goes off. Jenny, he sees Jenny die. He sees Jenny well, he he die. Hermione die. But he sees Hermione die um, back in the Riddle House. He has mm-hmm. a vision that that they weren't able to save her. Right. And I think that's what sets him off for the big fight that they have. And I really like it in this one, too, that I, because this is one of the, the few stories where I like Ron as a character, because usually he pisses me off. In this parts of the story where he pisses me off, he then does something really nice, so I like him again. I hate that. I just want to hate them or like them. I will <laughs> say this one thing about um the part where he and Ron have a fight. I mean, so I just said Ron and Ron had a fight. Um, Ron and Hermione have, like, a fight. It seems like it was really half-assed attempt to make, to give, like, them some conflict and not have the perfect relationship, and it didn't really fly. It was like, Ron, Ron yelled at Hermione, Hermione ran away and cried, Harry was like, you've been a bastard, Ron, and Ron was like, yeah, I have, I'll go make up with Hermione. They fight, like, non-stop, though. No, I thought that was alright. I mean, but Ron was- is going through a lot here. I mean, yeah, it kind of came out, you could argue it came out of nowhere, but the, all the the pieces were in place to give them that kind of argument, so I think that I think that I personally think that was acceptable. Um, I did love the one line too, where um, Harry is charging to the kitchens. He has a date in five minutes. He didn't bother with the invisibility cloak. If he got caught going to the kitchens by Filch, he didn't care. He hexed the old bastard. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Harry Potter, there you go. What I really like. For some reason, I really enjoyed... I can't remember whether it's the Centaur or the Offense Against the Dark Arts teacher, but when they're throwing on about the magical animals and how... um there's a few things they talk about, but how, like, Ron doesn't have dreams about the magical animal attacks because they're not as real or as important to him. And they have the whole discussion about how, like, well, the ministry will protect unicorns because unicorns are good animals, which I thought was a nice twist on the usual the ministry doesn't hate hates all animals. I, I thought it was interesting that this ministry protects unicorns but no other magical creature. Well, they hate the demons, so Hopkirk is screwed. They hate the demons. Yeah. They hate the demons, and they, hate, they don't care about like, the goblins or the... um giants or anything, but they do care about the unicorns, which I thought was... Well, the, well then you got Hobkirk up there going after the werewolves. I mean, it's, it's, it's everyone's attacking each other. It's a very sad day for our for night king. Uh, going through here again, yada, yada, yada. Ron is frightened that the anti-libido potion may be working too well. Ron has ED. But it clearly uh, doesn't, because it's right after, it's like, what, a day after he takes the potion that he breaks down, and, uh... Well, I think... Well, yeah, I think what happened was when Ron, yeah, after he stops taking it, when Ron takes, well, here's, it's a two-part process. When Ron takes the potion, he, he has ED. He also doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He has ED, doesn't really care. I like Hermione getting drunk on her birthday. Hermione got trashed on her birthday. It's all Seamus's fault, and Seamus is responsible for for Ron not having sex that night. So Ron is not pleased either. Well, I didn't like that she cried when she saw the surprise party. That seemed out of character to me. That's it. She's like, I have the best thing I've ever done for me. I'm like, really? This is really the 
nicest thing anyone's ever done. Really. Yeah, this is what you just like Harry do. Like, I never had a surprise party for my own. Harry, they, put, like, a ba- they put a banner up that's a happy birthday Hermione and they have punch. Like, I don't know. It's like, the nicest thing was... anybody's ever done for her. What, what, I mean, the... I hate to say, I think it may have been, she may have been PMSing or something, but then the next morning, huh? Uh, gender cha- changing charms. Isn't that lovely? Uh, I did enjoy um, Harry's retelling of the incident with Parvati. He's like, yeah, that- it was the tackiest tea shop in the United Kingdom. Yeah, there was a TV show called Yes, Prime Minister. I must protest in the strongest possible terms. My profound opposition to a newly instituted practice which imposes severe and intolerable restrictions upon the ingress and egress of senior members of the hierarchy and which will, in all probability, should the current deplorable innovation be perpetuated, precipitate a constriction of the channels of communication (laughs) and culminate in a condition of organizational atrophy and administrative paralysis which will render effectively impossible the coherent and coordinated discharge of the function of government within Her Majesty's United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. You mean you've lost your key? Southern. It's not called Southern Ireland. It's, it's called Ireland. Ireland. It's Ireland. Okay. It's it's the part south of Northern Ireland. We'll go with Ireland. <laughs> Thank you. Ireland. Like, you know what's sick? I think I'm going there for my honeymoon. I should probably get that down first and pretend I'm Catholic. It's the part where um, Mike calls it men touching or whatever the hell he calls the, only, uh, <laughs> the magic touching thingy. The magic, the magic touching. touching thingy. But he is going off on me. Um, I'm re- This is how you can tell I write these notes in real time. I didn't think ch- the shield charm stopped at Father. Cadavra, but Harry shielded Molly and Deathly Hallows. Am I wrong? Dot, dot, dot. Oh, because I read the next sentence. <laughs> uh, I like when, uh, he doesn't uh, shield her. When, when Harry's going on about him and Voldemort doing coke together, uh, that cracked me up a little bit. I thought you said coke. No, no that's what I the drug. <laughs> I'm like... I don't think Voldemort does coke. Why not? He does everything else. Um, well, I, don't know. I, don't know about, I don't know about Voldemort. Voldemort does not do drugs. That would be a great infomercial. You know those infomercials where they have, like, Al Sharpton and whoever the the right-wing equivalent is on the couch, and they're like, global warming is serious, and they have George Bush and Bill Clinton on the couch. Global warming is serious. (laughs) Could you imagine if they had had Voldemort and Harry, like, arm-in-arm on a couch saying, look, kids, we have our differences. Yes, we do, Tom. Don't call me that. Sorry. And then he's like, but we can all agree that global warming is important, and we must fight it. I would would actually like to see that commercial with like the actor Tom Riddle and the actor Harry. No, I think it'd be better in the universe. It has it'd be better in the universe, but we can't actually. But in real life, I'd also love to see that commercial. Uh, the Imperio curse—the fact that the first person who can um, knock it off, or the, the first person who can defeat the, the Imperio curse after Harry Potter is Terry Boot—applies to me that anyone can do. It. Well, they all Terry do do it. Uh, Bolster does it, and um, it, no, the guy who the, the kid who the actually splinched no his penis. The the, speen- the penis splincher can can break the Imperio curse. <laughs> There's nothing special about Harry. He just happens to be the dude the book is named after. Uh, yeah, I really like Hopkirk. We have a common enemy, and that is not anyone in this room. Never forget that. I I, just, I, I really like yeah. Hopkirk. The common enemy, you Hopkirk. <laughs> okay, Mike is a little angry at Hopkirk. Mike I really still. Well, the part that near the end of the chapters that I read for tonight, the fact that when Ginny needs a date to the prom and, and Ron says, hey, why don't you guys go together? Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, go together. And they stare at each other. And it's like when Kronk and I stare at each other. And it's like, Turn around. 
and you can see the music. It's like that really weird acid scene from The Year with No Santa or whatever the hell it was, and you know, Jessica's bouncing. The Year with Like No Another. No, what was the what was the one where um the elf? It's the one of the Christmas specials. The elf oh, goes down. A year without a Santa Claus. Yeah, is that the like one where the, from, the elves go looking for the Christmas spirit and they like yes, go to yes. jail and stuff? Yeah, and and and, and Harry and, and Ginny have the spotlights on them in the common room, and it's like the scene from A Year Without Santa Claus where Jessica is doing her. Oh no, no, Jessica is um Santa Claus is coming to town. And they always cut it for syndication. It's like that scene, and after a couple minutes, Ron is looking back, and it's like Ron, for his part, was gazing at them suddenly suddenly through narrowed eyes. And I like the fact that Ron is such a moron here because, how, like, through the whole thing, he's like, Harry and Ginny seem to be looking at each other strangely. Does that make only Ron he could one figure of the out why. Yeah, Ron is an elf. So if, if, because if Ginny is Jessica and Harry is Santa Claus. I'm doing oh, math I, in my head. And I didn't get why, why was it that uh, Ron suddenly, all the, is it because all the girls like him and there's like 50 girls grouping around him? Ron, um, apparently he has nice legs and a dress. Is that all it takes? <laughs> apparently so, yes. Plus when you're taken to, people want you, I hear. I don't see that in my daily life, but I've heard it's possible. And who's the other one? There's two of them, right, with big crowds around him. It's Ron yeah, and some other dude. Killed. Seamus. Who else was in the kilt? Probably Seamus. Yeah, it's got to be Seamus. Seamus is a kilt wearer. You can tell very, very clearly. Wait, wait, no, no, no. Kilts are Scottish and Seamus is Irish. Yeah. I wonder if Seamus is from Northern Ireland or Southern Ireland. Well, he must be from Northern Ireland because he's considered United Kingdom. I wonder, do you think Ireland... Well, J.K. JK said that Ireland, Ireland also, I think, sends their kids to Hogwarts because there's no other school for them to go to. Yeah, it's like they're not going to ship them to San Francisco. Here's the thing that I don't get. If there's are there only there's only three wizard schools in in um Europe right there's mm-hmm. Hogwarts and then there's Bobatons and then there's Durmstrang so okay mm-hmm. Bobatons is in France and in France they speak French but probably also takes you know Italian but what do you do if you're like from Spain like do you go to Bobatons and do you learn French no, to I'm sure Fr- Spain has one too. I think these are like the three Ivy League schools. Yeah. If otherwise, there's only otherwise there's only 412 people in the world. I mean, so yeah. uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me for actually for it to be what P.S. said. That's how I actually think it is. That if you're in Spain or Italy, you send your children to um, to what, I can't pronounce the school name, but to the French school. Um, but um, yeah, it's not that, cause if you look at what the entire wizarding population of Britain is. Um, there's no reason they can't only be three schools. And I imagine what it is is it'll be like it is in olden days, where in olden days, if you wanted to go to school, you had to learn or Latin, depending on the time period. So I imagine all the students who go to that school learn French or learn whatever the language is in German of um, or Derbshire. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is which is not unusual for older European periods. I actually uh, I like the idea that there's a school in every country. Yeah, and I don't think we're... There's, there's no way of settling I mean, the whole... Well, but if you, had a, if you had a school in Portugal, though, there'd be like 30 kids in the school, you know? No, there, well, no, there's not... How many... Like, how many people... Like, if the whole of United Kingdom gets one school and then the rest of Europe has to deal with two, two no, I think there's probably one in each. Well, actually, I was going to say... Maybe not one in each country, but, like, it's... Non-Soviet Europe, I would say. There's more than just, like, the three. Like, I'm sure there's one for, like, these countries that are all, like, used to be Russia. 
Well, because I, I would say the population of non-Soviet, maybe in Russia, I think might be separate, but Western, in terms of Western Europe, the population of non-United Kingdom Western Europe is probably only roughly three times that of the United Kingdom. So, well, I, I, I think those schools have a compass right now, drawing circles to see where the next school border has to be. I don't know. I'm getting. I'm doing it in my mind. Uh, what what I'm down the path now of how many kids are with Hogwarts, and I think that's a dangerous <laughs> path to go to at this hour. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I probably. Think- at this hour, the only yeah. people in Bobatons are French people, and then the people that that speak another language go to another school. I, don't know how I sense it's... that this podcast will end. Keep talking, guys. I'll just talk over you. I just sense that this podcast <laughs> will end as it began with us in the middle of a sentence because I think we're with an argument. These guys are just yeah. These guys are just getting warmed up. Uh, as for the chapters tonight, let's. Why don't we just do final thoughts? Um, this was the first fic I actually read where Ron had serious um prophetic, you know, powers where he was actually a full on seer. And there's other ones like obviously Curse of the Damned, he does he does have a single prophecy, but that's pretty much all there is to it. It was interesting seeing the um the process by which he learns and, you know, um, you know, has to take lessons and, you know, gets sexually frustrated for several um days. But uh weeks, months, whatever the time period was. Um but I was interesting to see the the process of a of a budding seer. It's not something you see uh I or not something I had seen uh previously. And I thought I really liked I like that. He's a, I like the fact he's a budding seer. That's just a great expression. I'm so <laughs> proud that you used it here first. Sue, what do you think? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the strength of this story to me is the writing quality. I honestly think it's one of the better written stories I we've read on any of these podcasts in terms of just the flow of it flows very well from point to point. I've never read a Ron centric story before and I had no real problem with this. Even like, you know, that we joke that there's sex all over the place and there is, but I think the characters are realistic in that real 17 year olds probably are a lot like that. Um, I did like actually that this this one compared to the first one to me seemed more Harry centric with more like Harry point of view stuff, and I kind of liked that because I actually enjoy her Harry even more than I enjoy her Ron, so I was getting into that. It's one of the only fix where I like the character Ron, so for me that ain't bad. So we're gonna move yeah. on, and after we close down the podcast tonight, Mike and I will go for four or five more hours about how many people there are at Hogwarts. There will be calculators involved. So with that, have a great night, everybody. We'll see you back next week for God knows how many chapters. We'll see you back next week. (laughs) Night, everyone. Good night. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. You would think with her name being Lavender Brown that you'd see more of Lavender Brown. I would think like if you heard, if her name was Lavender Brown, that would be like her like it would be like her slughorn kind of thing. Is what I assumed when I saw her, her name. Slughorn kind of thing. So does that mean I should change my name to Horace Slughorn? Well, I can see your name being like Plaid Slughorn. Like all one. Plaid that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> does Plaid Slughorn make much sense? <laughs> You should change your username to like Slughorn for America or something. Like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna do like a lavender brown thing. I'm gonna change my username to Horace Slughorn all one word. P H P H P H. Plaid. I mean P H. Wait, no, it works. P H. She be H S. I just got used to P S.
pH is for testing the water to see if it's safe to drink. Oh, good God. This is ridiculous. Wait, P.S. could be Plaid Slughorn. I just thought of that. I never put that together. It could be Plaid Slughorn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Be Plaid Slughorn, because that's going to be so that confusing. That doesn't make any sense. That, like, gives me... That gives me, like, the image of, like, you know how, like, Bugs Bunny will, like, eat something weird and turn all these colors, one of them is plaid? Like, that makes me imagine Horace has eaten, like, the, you know, plaid slughorn is better than Horace slughorn, because it's your own take on Horace. It's Horace with the, remember the episode that called you plaid? I'm still kind of confused. Okay. Why are you confused? I don't know. I don't know how did we get on this. The plaid slughorn just didn't make any sense. Because a person can't be plaid. Neither can well, there'd, be plaid there'd be something wrong with him. He could wear plaid. He could be wearing a plaid bathrobe. That doesn't make him plaid. He's Southern Ireland. 